I'm Kyle. And I'm Trevor. And welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. If you aren't familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast wherein we introduce each other to films, expand our cinematic horizons, and, in essence, catch up on our cinema. So it is the month of September 2022, which means it is once again Masterclass Month, which also means it is our anniversary month. Uh, so this would be, I believe, our fourth year of collaboration together, Kyle. It's kind of sweet. <laughs> sweet. Uh, so if you're not familiar with the format uh, dear listeners um, basically Masterclass Month uh, is where it all began for Catching Up on Cinema the very first recording Kyle and I ever did together as a podcasting duo uh, came in the form of uh, something we called the Predator Masterclass uh, which is a pretty bold statement with your you know very first fucking recording before you even know what the fuck you're doing but anyway basically all we did was we talked about Uh, every uh, Predator film uh, that existed up to that point. Uh, And we covered them in as much detail as we could in a single sitting. Um, But because we were very comprehensive about it, um, we decided to go with the title Masterclass. Um, So this time around, um, Kyle was actually... Well, Kyle, how about you speak for yourself? Uh, So Kyle actually wanted to spearhead this year's uh, Masterclass Month um, because he does, in fact, have a, a film franchise in particular, well, just a media franchise in particular, that would be very, very topical uh, for this this month, this September 2022. Um, unfortunately, uh, real life shit has been popping up kind of rapid fire as of late, so we didn't, neither of us, I think, has the enough, enough energy or time to devote to it to do it properly, but Kyle, would you care to do away with the... Uh, mystery and intrigue as to what the franchise you would have liked to have covered this year would have been yes if we had more time i would have gone with the lord of the rings trilogy Uh, i was really looking forward to doing that and i was also going to throw in the first hobbit movie Uh, i wasn't going to do the other two but i was going to do the first hobbit movie uh, to at least set up uh kind of the rest of the story for lord of the rings but that we're gonna have to push that to a later date uh we also wanted to get some guests on most of those episodes so coordinating it's going to take a little bit more time i think yeah, it's something that I know is very important to Kyle uh, in particular. Uh, if I'm being 100% honest, Lord of the Rings film franchise isn't particularly dear to me personally, um, but it's a really big deal to Kyle. Uh, not just the films, but just like Tolkien as an author in general, correct? Yeah. Um, so, which raises the question, um, as, like, as I mentioned, Lord of the Rings just happens to be very, very topical at the moment. Um, being as Amazon recently released, the, I think the first episode, uh, maybe even the first, first two. two yeah. Uh, um, have you have you gotten around to checking that out yet, Kyle? No, we just about watched it the other night, but yeah, we've pushed it off. Uh, Nick, I believe Nick has watched at least the first two episodes. He's li- he likes it so far. Uh, definitely mixed mixed opinions um, so far on the Reddit boards, uh, but I'll I'll give it a I'll give it a whirl here before long. Okay, well, I look forward to hearing your thoughts on that one. I haven't checked it out either as of yet. But yeah, folks at home, it's uh, the Ring Rings of Power, I believe is the name of the Amazon series. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of a big deal at the moment. And, you know, brand synergy and what uh, for, you know, cross promotion and whatnot is something that we were thinking about capitalizing on. But who, who gives a fuck? Um, anyway, uh, instead, uh, we decided to go with something um, probably like, like kind of a take it easy. Uh, franchise something that uh, has less less 
personal attachment on both of our ends and just something that we don't have to do quite as much research to do. Um, so instead, this time around, uh, for our fourth year masterclass, uh, we are going to be delving into the X-Men film franchise. Um, yeah. Not in its entirety. Uh, this is probably going to be uh, something that we will end up revisiting down the line, uh, being as there are too many of these fucking movies. Um, yeah. But at the very least, we'll, we'll, we'll do the first four or so of these movies. So, Kyle... Um, x-men uh this was this was kind of uh we went back and forth deciding like what we we're going to be doing this year but like x-men what what does x-men mean to you as a as a media franchise in general uh it was one of those cartoons that were definitely uh it was just on in the background uh i like most uh most boys in the uh in the 90s had a man crush on the character Wolverine. He was an awesome. When I mean like a man crush, it's like he's just an awesome action figure. I would I would say I, we definitely had a Wolverine action figures. He was really cool. Uh, I remember I had the Spring Break trading cards at one time. Uh, yeah, those were those were something, huh? Uh, and then you know that that boyhood crush of Wolverine turned into a manhood uh, man crush on Hugh Jackman as Wolverine. Um, I remember the I remember the hype around this. Nick was very excited about this. Uh, he's probably gonna have to be on one of these episodes. I asked him which one. He's like, oh, I really don't know. He's like, I'll have to think about that. <laughs> he's like, he doesn't know when he wants to come in. Um, but we we watched. All full disclosure. This is the first time I've watched this movie all the way through. I've only seen the first maybe ten minutes of it, and then like a piece of the saber tooth Wolverine battle. Uh, when it first came out, I didn't watch this till the first time last night. But the other two, X X two and three, uh, Nick and I watched a lot of. Uh, we just had it on DVD, just basically on a loop. We would just watch those. Uh, but as far as like the the characters themselves, like for comic books and stuff, we didn't. We like I said, we didn't really do comic books or anything like that. But um, yeah, and I think as an adult, these movies are still kind of fun for me to go back and revisit, even though they're made in the worst decade, the worst part of uh, uh, cinema history, which is the early 2000s. <laughs> yeah, we definitely have to have Nick. Uh, folks at home, Kyle's brother Nick, um, he, he's been a guest on the show a handful of times, and we always love having him, but um, I know in particular he's a big Spider-Man fan. Oh, huge. I wasn't positive if he was a uh, X-Men fan, although the fact that Kyle and Nick uh, did a, a review, just the two of them, on Blade 2, um, I just want to I, I wanna assume that Nick just kind of likes superhero comics or something, because it sounds, it sounds like he's got most of his bases covered. He's he very. I think that most of the Marvel movies are very digestible for him. I think he even likes those more than like the Star Wars sequels. Uh, but... I was thinking about this. I'm like, Nick does love Spider-Man. I remember he had a two-foot figurine that he got for his birthday. And I think there was a Spider-Man cake involved as well. So he's liked Spider-Man since he was like three or four. Like, he's he's been a stand for Spider-Man for a long time. Yeah. Uh, speaking of other master classes, um, Spider-Man was definitely in the runnings as far as something else to cover. Although that's one that I also feel some pressure to, you know, quote, get right. Um, which is why we're not doing it now. Um, but yeah, I, I would actually think um, X-Men 2, uh, X2, X-Men United would probably be the one to have him on because it's generally thought of as being, quote, the best X-Men film. 
Um, and I, I would imagine he, he would agree with that. Um, so I'll have to poke him. I'll send him a text or something after we're done recording. Um, but as far as myself, um, you know, I was born in 1987. I was very much, you know, aware and consuming pop culture and media in the 90s and whatnot. And uh, the X-Men, uh, X-Men number one, uh, Chris Claremont and Jim Lee. Uh, that was, I believe, may even still be to this day, uh, the best-selling comic book of all time. Um it easily the best-selling Marvel comic book, as far as I know, and I was most certainly uh, on the hype train for it. Uh, I was inundated with X-Men media uh, in the 90s, um, and it was largely off the strength of that comic. Um, but um, actually, that's not true. It's kind of funny. Um, I've always described my, uh, my relationship to um, Marvel comics and just superhero comics in general, be it Marvel or DC. A lot of my... my just knowledge and and attachment to these things comes through just like some kind of weird cultural osmosis because truthfully i did read some of the comics but not a whole lot of them like i had a handful that i would reread constantly and occasionally my mom would take me to the library and i'd like root through the racks and like find a deathlock or a punisher or something that i would get attached to for for the afternoon um but as far as like x-men um I had a couple of issues, and then I think in the late 90s, uh, my dad got me a trade of Fatal Attractions, uh, which was a Magneto-centric uh, Jim Lee and Chris Claremont uh, collection of issues for across all the X-Men titles. Um, but really, the thing that got me into X-Men was the, the cartoon that Kyle mentioned, the yeah. Fox Kids cartoon. I watched the fuck out of that show, yeah, and it was excellent. It was a it was a brilliant distillation of a lot of like the key moments in X Men lore from like not so much the early '60s, but like from the '70s up up to the '90s, like up to the present in which they were airing the cartoon. Um, it really is like a, a an excellent primer uh, for that particular era um, and like a couple of decades prior to it um, of X Men lore. Um, but in addition to that, there was just like this media blitzkrieg in the 90s um, in the form of not only that cartoon, but also, you know, action figures and probably most important for me, aside from the cartoon, um, video games. Um, Capcom uh, was producing some excellent video games. Um, X-Men Mutant Apocalypse on the Super Nintendo is a personal favorite of mine, but the big ones were uh, X-Men Children of the Atom, the arcade fighting game. And uh, of course, X Men versus Street Fighter and whatnot, and all the way through Marvel versus Capcom and whatnot. Um, so really, I wasn't reading a whole lot of the comics. I, you know, I had a few of them and whatnot, but mostly it was just other media, so animation and video games, um, which is really interesting because if you think about the timing of how everything lined up, um, it's it's kind of brilliant, at least like from my standpoint, where it's like you have kids who grew up with this stuff in the early 90s or late 80s and then you get to the year 2000 when this film would be released and i'm 13 years old and the film just happens to be pg-13 so it's like perfectly lined up for the people who were fostered by exactly the types of x-men media that i was um so even though this this project started way back in the 80s it's really kind of brilliant uh that it was released uh when it was uh warts and all 
um but yeah that's that's my connection to x-men i i i haven't really kept up with it as strongly um it's like aside from the movies and whatnot i uh I I I abandoned comic books uh, several years ago just because I have too many collections. I have too many hobbies as it is, and something had to give. Uh, so I just said, you know what? I'm not going to be buying funny books no more because uh, my bank account needs uh, to exist, <laughs> honestly. And you have a girlfriend now, so it, it's a fair trade-off. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's just it's like we're we're making progress. We're we're socializing and whatnot. Um, but yeah, uh, this film, um, actually the, the time of its release, I think, is really fascinating. Um, so this film, X-Men, uh, came out in the year 2000, which places it squarely uh, between uh, Blade, uh, the Wesley Snipes, Wesley Snipes headline, New Line Pictures, um, or New Line Cinema, rather, uh, Blade film, and then two years later, Spider-Man would come out. So this is kind of part of the initial wave that would get us going into the the current era of superman or superhero films that we're just utterly inundated with um but do you remember any of the the hype behind this one kyle because it sounded like this one in particular you you were aware of but you weren't like tugging at your mom's like dress or anything to say hey take me to the theater go see this one uh, Nick was my movie compass. He was the one that had his thumb on the pulse. He knew what movies were coming out. He's like, did you see the trailer for this? Uh, I don't know if it's because he had Wizard magazines or he just was paying attention to previews. Um, but he's the one that usually pointed out movies. And I think this was probably his rental choice. Guys, I don't think I wa- I don't remember watching it with him. I think I was doing something else. Ah, that makes sense. I, uh, I do remember going to the theater to watch this one. Um, I remember the trailers for it being uh, kind of funky, honestly, where it was like, uh, basically they did the thing where they, they put every special effect shot, so like every instance of CGI that they have in the finished film, they, they crammed into the trailer, whether it made sense or not. And it resulted in just a lot of bizarre images, like in particular, um, Senator Kelly's face stretching and like him mm. as a goop monster like popping out of the ocean and uh that that really sketchy uh cgi stunt double uh flip that wolverine does while he's uh clinging to the statue of liberty's uh tr or whatever um pretty much every <laughs> cgi ins- oh yeah also the uh the uh what's the uh, woolly willy the woolly willy map that they have <laughs> in in the x-men's uh base of operations that was in the trailer as well but I remember being very hyped for this movie, and I went to go see it. And I remember like walking out of the theater, being like, "I was good enough." Like I wasn't blown away, even as a thirteen-year-old. Um, but I do remember having a much more positive reaction to the second one, if I'm being a hundred percent honest. But yeah, this this first one, even as a thirteen-year-old, I was like, "They they got it mostly right." Like all the characters are mostly as they're supposed to be. Um, so I wasn't like lost or anything like that, and I wasn't bored. Um, so I guess that's something. Um, but before we get into the movie proper, I thought, um, this is probably going to be a very, very front loaded episode, by the way, folks at home. Um, I thought we'd just like talk about some of the cast and crew, uh, behind this film. Um, which brings us to the very tricky subject of talking about this film and many of the other X-Men films, uh, director. Uh, so that would be Brian Singer, um, who 
uh, Kyle and I are both fully aware of uh, and understand is a terrible human being. Um, mm-hmm. he's, he's been accused of some truly horrendous things. Uh, as far as I understand, it's been a problem pretty much as long as he's been a part of the film industry, if not longer. Um, problem is, uh, movies are not the product of a single human being's doing, unless, unless that truly is the case, like it's a stop-motion film or something. Um, so we are going to be talking. We are going to be proceeding with talking about the films, but this is this is the part where we both acknowledge that yes, we are aware. Uh, we're not trying to. We're not trying to pussyfoot around things. We're we're aware of this. He's a bad person, but you know the work the work and the work of all the other people aside from him probably should still be acknowledged because it's not the product solely of him. It's the product of hundreds of other people pushing towards achieving a singular goal it has my second fa- i mean this is my second favorite ian mckellen quote like of, of any movie so it's like you're not you don't get to you don't get to take that from me like i get to keep it it's still mine <laughs> yeah no at the end of the day it's like yes one he's he's a singular element who just happens to be the biggest name on you know the poster or whatever um but it's the work of many many other people as well um so we're we're acknowledging both ends of it. So anyway, um, yes, this film and many of the other X-Men films are directed by Brian Singer, um, who, as far as I know, his big break uh, came in the form of The Usual Suspects, uh, a film that I know by reputation um, but have not seen because it's been spoiled for me uh, so many times over that I felt like it, it basically just wasn't worth taking a look at, although I have heard um, it has some really awesome performances. Uh, again, from other problematic actors, uh, other problematic elements in Hollywood as well. Um, but uh, as far as I understand, his uh, his pathway uh, to X-Men came in the form of him desiring to do a sci-fi film. I have noticed a thing with Brian Singer's filmography and some of his stylings and whatnot. That I think he's maybe really... I think he's really attached to Spielberg. Like, I want to say he, he, he uses him as kind of a I don't know, a guiding light of sorts. Like, like a lot of, he seems to take a lot of influence from Spielberg. So uh, I'm not surprised that he would be specifically seeking out a science fiction project um, after his big break, because that genre did really wonderful things for Spielberg's career as well. Um, but in the meantime, he did a film called Apt Pupil, uh, which starred Brad Renfro and, and also Ian McKellen. Um, so as far as I know, it was, uh, the relationship on that set uh, of apt pupil that led to Ian McKellen being involved in this project, X-Men. Um, but uh, as far as uh, cast, uh, now that I'm on the subject of Ian McKellen, um, Kyle, uh, what's, what's your connection to Ian McKellen? Because I know, uh, I know Lord of the Rings is kind of special to you, but um, do you, do you like, in general follow the man like are you is he a selling point for you or is it just his gandalf that that works for you uh my first introduction to him was the last action hero uh he plays death in a short scene uh but yeah i was really like really introduced to him with lord of the rings i have wanted to watch some of his other films i tried watching uh i think it's richard the third and it's like a contemporary take on shakespeare where it's like modern day but they're speaking like it's Shakespeare, and I got five minutes into it. I'm like, nope, can't even for a second entertain that. Uh, not happening. It 
not my thing. Uh, but he has a uh, he does have uh, apt pupil is one of the movies I have wanted to watch, um, and I think it's Gods and Monsters is one that I hear um, he and Brendan Fraser both uh, apparently are really good in that. Um, but no, I don't really follow him too much. Uh, nobody in these movies are really a selling point for me. Um, it, if Hugh Jackman can be as long as he's not singing, that's that's when. Really <laughs> Uh, well, which brings us to Hugh Jackman, I guess. So yeah, uh, Ian McKellen, I'm I'm much the same. I always appreciate him, um, but his presence will not get me to buy a ticket, unfortunately. <clears throat> I think he and Hugh Jackman are kind of in the same boat for me. I like stuff that they do off-screen. I think that they're both very, very interesting people off-screen, like in interviews and stuff like that. I'll, I'll catch them in interviews more than I'll be looking forward to their actual, uh, than their actual films. <laughs> I mean that that that's fair enough. Um, Ian McKellen, I know, uh, has done a fair bit of activism on his part. Um, he is a wonderful interview. I did like. Uh, I, I think you showed it to me, maybe or someone else. Uh, point is, he he has a little bit on. Uh, I think the Ricky Gervais show, uh, extras. Ooh, I did not send that to you, but I do want to see that. I do want to see that though. <laughs> I've seen that clip. Where he he speaks of his acting method, so Ian, so Ian, so Ian, so Ian, and then they shifts into Gandalf mode, and then back to so Ian, so Ian, so Ian. <laughs> uh, but yes, of course, uh, Ian McKellen portrays uh, Eric Lencher, aka Magnus, aka Magneto, uh, in this X Men film as many as well as many others. Um, often thought of as, I believe, he was the first villain in the x-men comics um i did read the first issue of x-men a long time ago um chief antagonist of the x-men for a very long time uh occasional ally um which we'll get to i guess next week when we talk about x-men 2 um i love his portrayal of magneto um he's he and patrick stewart honestly as professor xavier uh the two of them i could just watch an entire movie of just their verbal sparring uh, because the two of them are such you know, accomplished actors with such incredible speaking voices <laughs> that just like every line, no matter how, I mean, that's that's the whole concept of Patrick Stewart's uh, casting in uh, Seth MacFarlane's American Dad was we have the most incredible speaking voice. Let's feed him the most ridiculous and stupid fucking lines of dialogue imaginable and hear what they sound like coming out of this regal stoic voice. Um brilliant brilliant bit of comedy honestly it writes itself uh just write the stupidest hack shit imaginable and hand it over to patrick stewart see what comes out um but the the relationship between these two characters um i feel does a lot of the heavy lifting when it comes to like the the heavy the high drama of of the x-men film franchise just the dynamic between the two of them kind of like the Martin Luther King and Michael uh, Malcolm X perspectives that they bring uh, to the, uh, the the mutant culture and society, um, and how it fits into quote normal society, is very is very intriguing. I could I could watch them go back and forth all day long. But yeah, Ian McKellen is Magneto. I think he's fantastic. Costuming aside, not a big fan of his wardrobe <laughs> uh, in any of the films, honestly. Um, Fastbender fares a little bit better because they get the helmet right, and he's michael fucking fassbender uh, he can make a potato sack look good in fact he did a movie as far as i know wearing a paper mache uh head um 
and he still probably looked hot to somebody out there. <laughs> I forget what that movie's called, but I think it's about like a, a rock band or something. And he's like a band member that just permanently has like a paper mache giant like parade hat on. Um, but speaking of Patrick Stewart, uh, he portrays uh, Professor X, uh, Charles Xavier. Um, and as a result of playing this fucking role for 20 years, um, I mean, he already did Star Trek and whatnot, but like as a result of seeing him in these movies for 20 plus years, I always have an odd reaction to seeing him standing <laughs> just because I'm so accustomed to seeing him in a wheelchair. Um, it's like, no, his legs very much work. It's just he's been playing this fucking role for two thirds of my life or some shit. Um, what, what do you think of Patrick Stewart as an actor or as this character? Uh, I've tried my hardest. Uh, there's two, two, two franchises I've tried my hardest to get into. One, I've tried to get through the th- first 30 minutes of Highlander. I don't know if it's ever going to happen, but I've tried. But I've tried to force feed myself Star Trek The Next Generation because I grew up watching it with my grandpa. And I just can't. I don't get I wish that I was into Star Trek because there's so... There's so much there. There's several iterations. It's been going on for years. And, like, I just wish I was into it. But I remember him most vividly as Captain Picard. Uh, and, unfortunately, I can't watch that show. So I don't really have much else. Um, I do love him in Green Room. Uh, he's excellent as the villain. Oh, spoiler alert, the villain. Um <laughs> And also, do you remember that movie Conspiracy Theory with uh, Mel Gibson and Julia Roberts? Yes, and if memory serves, I think that's how Brian Singer met him. Was I think he was sh- in the middle of shooting that film at the time. Uh, but go ah, on. Okay. Yeah, uh, I liked him in that movie as well. That's that's a fun movie. I'd like to. I need to dust that one off. Uh, but as far as like bringing the characters to life. This is fine. I don't really, I don't really have an investment in that. I, I'll take your word for it that he's good as this character. Because other than his portrayal, I don't really have any familiarity with uh, Xavier. He's. It's one of those roles that just it came so naturally, where it's just like he he already has that commanding presence, that stoicism that comes with mm-hmm. portraying Jean Luc Picard on Star Trek: The Next Generation. He's already he already decided to kind of go full bore with the bull, the bald head. He was kind of doing the monkey butt thing for a little while there when they started Next Gen, but by the time we get to X Men, he's he's pretty committed to just like now nah, we're Bruce Willis we're Bruce Willising this shit. Fuck it, um, and the Chrome mm-hmm. Dome works great. Like it, he's got a Michael Jordan Michael Jordan skull. Like it, it works for him. It doesn't work for everybody, but it works for him. Um, but yeah, it, in terms of like characterization and portrayal, like he he fits the bill so beautifully that it's like it's really really hard to like think of someone else doing it, especially at the time. Um, I was gonna say if you want to get weak at the knees, go ahead and look up uh, look up Patrick Stewart when he's younger. Uh, there's there's one photo of that people are saying is him and it's not actually him, but you can find an actual picture when he was younger. Just a just a bombshell. Oh yeah, he was a dime piece, and I seem to remember him doing a, an appearance on like SNL or something, where it was like a oh, love boat really? sketch. And his arms, dude, like he was beefy, like like he had his sleeves rolled up, and it's like you know, that's one thing you don't see very often, like because of next gen and whatnot. Like long sleeves are just like 
par for the course for Patrick Stewart, especially in the 90s and whatnot. But I seem to remember he's like the captain on the love boat or something, and he's got the short sleeve thing, and it's like tight in the biceps. And it's like, Jesus, he's jacked. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah, I think I need to find this episode because I have a thumbnail of him with Phil Hartman. I'm like, okay, what's going on in that? Oh. <laughs> what's going on wow. there? I mean, I mean, wow, talk about people you miss. Uh, yeah. Phil Hartman is deeply missed. Um, but thankfully, Patrick Stewart's still around. Um, yeah, anyway, long story short, uh, he as Professor X, excellent. Um, could not have thought of anyone better at the time, especially, uh, to play the role. Um, so let's move on to the the, the Jackman, the huge Ackman. Huge Ackman. I think this was his first, I think this was his first American production, uh, but his first American film, or at least his first American film, because he had been mostly TV shows and theater up until this point. Uh, I think he did one movie before this, but I don't think it was American production. But if you can find it, there's a really funny, uh, a really fun interview on the Graham Norton show with uh, Patrick Stewart, Hugh Jackman, and Ian McKellen. Is actually a surprise guest. Uh, look it up, just watch that 20 or 30 minutes of that show, it's great. Uh, but apparently he took Ian McKellen's dressing room when he took over for uh, Oklahoma. <laughs> and there's a funny there's a fun anecdote with that uh but yeah uh this was this was his introduction into american culture yeah uh it was really fun actually um uh, the girlfriend i watched it with her uh this film uh just the other night it was her first time uh seeing anything x-men related uh, which is really funny because she's really into like young adult fiction and and media so i was like you realize like almost all of that basically is x-men except it's it's witches instead of mutants it's basically all the same <laughs> does her does her netflix watch list just make your nose bleed because you have no idea what's happening yeah, uh, it, yeah. <laughs> yes it's a problem like i'm just what the f i didn't even know any of this shit existed it's so off my radar it's it's all new to me yeah, I use Netflix for one thing and one thing only. It is the TV show that I watch to go to sleep at night. <laughs> I don't use it for anything else. Yeah, no, uh, Lana Condor apparently is very, very popular uh, on, like in that corner of Netflix. Uh, that's an actress who's actually part of the X-Men uh, franchise that's just totally off my radar, but apparently anything she does, the girlfriend's going to want to watch. But um, point is, uh, the girlfriend is a big fan of Hugh Jackman. Uh, and unlike Kyle, she likes it when he sings. Uh, she likes uh, his song and dance roles, although she cannot stomach uh, Les Mis. Uh, Les Miserables, she can't, she can't do that because she's seen the stage version, and the film version apparently makes her nose bleed. Uh, so I have a buddy that I'm actually going to go to uh, going to a music festival this weekend with, but he and I, usually, we go to music festivals a lot together. And uh, the type of music that we listen to is not Hugh Jackman singing. Uh, but we were coming back from our one uh, a few years ago, and he's like, all right, uh, you can, uh, we got back to his place. He's like, are you going to head out? I'm like, yeah. He's like, okay, well, I was I got to get going now. Uh, my family are meeting up. I'm like, oh, what are you guys doing? He's like, so my parents got a limo, and you don't know him, but I'm doing his voice. So he's like, my parents got a limo, and then we're going to go out to dinner, and then we're going to go see Hugh Jackman. And I'm like, wait. Do you say you're gonna go see Hugh Jackman? He's like, yeah. I'm like, what the fuck are you talk? Like, in a movie? Is he in a movie or something? He's like, y you're no. You're gonna he go hang out with Hugh Jackman? <laughs> he's like, no. He he sings. He does like a whole. He has his own like you his own like stage thing that he does like concert. And I'm like, 
Uh, oh, okay. It's just, it's not the type of music that you would associate him listening to him. He's like, I fucking love Hugh Jackman. <laughs> he loves Hugh Jackman. <laughs> it's like his whole family, they just like Hugh Jackman. And uh, I'm like, it's like the, the greatest showman. He's like, oh yeah, he does those songs. Uh, he does all that. I'm like, all right, man, have fun with that. But very random. Yeah, Hugh Jackman has that effect on hetero men. I've noticed. Yeah, like, like yeah. they they get they get taken in by the muscles, and then they they see the additional layers that that are a part of the man, and they're like, you know, this isn't so bad. <laughs> it's like if it's him, it's fine, right? He's like a nice. He's like a nicer Patrick Swayze. It's just like, yeah, he's good looking and very fit, but he's also very talented in other ways. He's very important for for men to. I guess become more comfortable with their sexuality. I guess where yeah. it's like it's okay to appreciate a handsome man who sings and dances. We're all a little it's confused. A, it, we're it, all a little. Con- we're all a little confused, Trevor. It's fine. Just everybody, just on the, just everybody, get on the same page. No, but it's very important because a lot of those kinds of guys who, who you wouldn't expect to see at a Hugh Jackman show, he's kind of like their ambassador into into that world. It's like, it's okay. It's me. Oh, yeah, no, he's he's a gate. He's a gate, gateway. Uh, and, yeah, yeah, and, he, yeah he, he's the fairy man. Yeah. No, he's, and... You don't have to pay him nothing. He has a, he has a wonderful moment, again, on the Graham Norton show with uh, Gary Oldman, and he, pay, like, he pays his respects to him, and it's, it's the sweetest. Like, it's the, he's one of the nicest dudes... Uh, out there good for him glad he's had the crew he's had awesome in prisoners oh yes i I love that movie and and his his uh role i mean he's he's been on the hunt like on the prowl for an oscar trophy for quite a while like like prisoners was a strong bid Mm -hmm. for for you know best best actor um les mis also because you know it's a fucking musical role uh, where he gets ugly um that checks a lot of boxes for a lot of voters at the academy. Um, also, uh, bad education. I that's um, been on my list under, for a while. Uh, underseen movie, but I really enjoy that movie and that performance. Um, I don't know if it's best best actor material, but I mean, I, I like Hugh Jackman. I find him to be a, a fine screen presence. I find him to be a compelling actor that that has range. Um, I I believe Hugh Jackman to be a force for good in the world of Hollywood. Like he he seems he seems to do well. He seems to be a good guy in general. Yeah. Um. And as Kyle had said, this is kind of the role. Um. And to to bring it full circle, um. Like I said, the girlfriend was all has already been a fan of Hugh Jackman, without ever having seen anything X Men or Wolverine related. So f- this was kind of a fun little moment for her to see like somewhat baby-faced Hugh Jackman in the year 2000 uh, donning the like the claws and, and the goofy hairdo, the V hairdo and the mutton chops for the first time. Um, so it was it was really interesting to see her reaction to that where she was like, whoa, I, I didn't know this was like how most people know this guy because for her, he's the song and dance man that occasionally gets ugly. Um, but I need to tell you, Kyle. I don't know if you looked into this at all, but some of the uh, the casting details for Wolverine uh, are hilarious, um, kind of hilarious, honestly. Um, so Hugh Jackman uh, actually holds the distinction of being like one of the more high-profile late replacements in in Hollywood history. Uh, so one of the one of the highest-profile situations that comes to mind is uh, um, Eric Stoltz and Michael J. Fox in uh, Back to the Future. Uh, which 
isn't the story they basically reshot the whole movie essentially? Pretty much. Vigo Mortensen uh, taking over for uh, Stuart Townsend is up there. It's one of my favorites. Thank, thank fucking Christ that they did that. Oof. Yeah, thank you for for throwing that out there because that was the other one that came to my mind. Um, and and again, that's not even a film series that means a whole lot to me. But look at Stuart Townsend today. <laughs> look at Stuart Townsend. Has he worked with Cronenberg on more than one occasion? No. Okay. Has he done a naked fight? I don't think so. I haven't even. <laughs> I've seen Viggo Mortensen's dick twice now. All right. I haven't even seen Patrick Stewart. Patrick Stewart. I haven't seen his dick either. But Stuart Townsend, I haven't seen his dick. Patrick Stewart probably whips it out every once in a while. He gets high a lot, so <laughs> it probably just happens. <laughs> oh no, I've called it out again. Uh. Uh, uh, but yeah, uh, this is one of the, the more high-profile. Oh, go ahead. Who? Okay, so now I have I have to guess who was the Wolverine that they had done uh, that they had done it with. So let's see here. Two thousand. Uh, is this yeah. person tall? Is this a tall another tall person? Um, by Hollywood standards, but like not enormous. So okay. Like, tall. Two thousands. Um, are they an action star? Uh, they have done action movies, but um, they're mostly okay. So Kyle, by the way, you're. There are two different people that I'm speaking of at the same time. Oh. So there's the person who actually started the project. But then there's also the person who was the number one selection. I was dude who was courted earliest. I was trying to guess who started, who actually started in. Um, please tell me who. Oh, well, you who's who you was, will you will not get that one. Uh, okay. You will not guess that one correctly. I can guarantee that. But the person who their number one choice was maybe. Okay, I'm gonna just shoot from the hip uh, because he needs to be physical and with some makeup i'm gonna say jean claude jean claude van damme was maybe a choice <laughs> <laughs> that's a no jean claude in in 1999 98 around then would he was not doing well <laughs> um, he was i think he was doing like replicant by then 94 was peak van damme that was that was you know time cop street fighter yeah 98 99 no he was he was working almost exclusively with hong kong filmmakers and Dennis Rodman, <laughs> um, but um, take one more swing and then I can actually reveal it. Uh, so remember, f- filming around like 1999. I, my, I keep wanting to say Tom Cruise, but I know that's absolutely not. Who he's it was. he's foreign. He's foreign. He has the ability to be physical, although oh. his commitment to the gym is maybe questionable, especially by especially in 2022. Uh, I'm gonna say foreign Daniel Craig ah no uh, it was probably too early for Daniel Craig yeah. um, okay so I will dispel the mystery um, so Grace Scott was cast and actually appeared on set as far as I understand yeah I told you you weren't going to get that one no. there's, there's no way I think he's Irish he was the villain in Mission Impossible 2 oh, um, and no. as far as I know his career like at least in international cinema you know hollywood cinema as far as i know his career didn't escape that film um the person who was number one choice was russell crowe oh okay Uh uh-huh and apparently he recommended hugh jackman because they apparently they were buddies at the time yeah he uh, i need a lean wolverine uh yeah 
um, no, he he would have been a terrible choice because he he can't help but be paunchy. Um, <laughs> like even when he shows up on like in shape, he's not in shape. He was physically <laughs> fit for his. <laughs> he was physically fit for Gladiator, and that was it. I mean, yeah, he had some tone in his arms, but if you took if you took off the cuirass or whatever, if you took off his armor, Maximus would would not work as as a heroic figure in cinema. Maximus Guttius would be his fucking. <laughs> yeah, he would be paunchy, but I mean, he he had some arm tone in that one at the very least, and he did he did put in work for Cinderella Man. I will give him that, but the point is, he's always a little soft, even when he's hard. <laughs> like especially these here, here. he's so goddamn happy he's so goddamn happy though I'm so, I'm so happy with fat Russell Crowe eh. it makes me smile to see him jolly I guess he's less of um, an asshole these days but eh, okay um, uh, Viggo Mortensen was courted at one point as well but to finally to finally put this whole thing to rest uh, the last little bit that I think would make you have a chuckle is that Glenn Danzig oh. um, was, was invited to audition <laughs> He is like five foot four. Why? What the fuck were they thinking? Um, well, I'm glad you mentioned that. Uh, so, uh, as the re- I guess the resident comic book expert, um, Wolverine is about five foot five uh, or five foot four in the comics. He is meant to be short and wide. Like in the comics, he is I think the shortest or second shortest X Man. Um, or at least he was when I was reading them. Jubilee, I think, was like supposed to be. I think she was actually supposed to be a little bit taller than him. Uh, so he was one of the shortest X people um, on the team. Um, so traditionally, that is how he is, which begs the question: when you know he inevitably uh, is added to the MCU, uh, to you know the Disney era Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, I'm curious, from a casting standpoint, if they will attempt to actually do that. Um, because Hugh Jackman is six fucking three, uh, so they didn't even try to to like bring that into you know their consideration when it came to casting the role. Um, but his his portrayal of the character, while very much distanced uh, from the, you know the comic book source material, it's it's a thing unto itself. Hugh Jackman as Wolverine is is wonderful. It works. Um, he really made something for himself and like you know all credit to the guy he really committed hard to it like i don't think anybody could question his dedication to like really trying to get it right and embody the character um and that says a lot when you know the character bears very little resemblance to the you know the source material it's very much a distinct thing and i think it works really well all right um do you want to step on the gas for the cast? Because we haven't even gotten to Famke Jensen and we're 45 minutes in. Uh, but I feel like the rest of the cast, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing you're going to have something to say about James Marsden. Uh, is this why you don't like him? Is because of this movie? No, actually. I like James Marsden. What the fuck are you I talking about? I thought you were about? talking shit about him. Like, yeah, fuck that dude. Maybe it was somebody else. No. But, but it was, whoever no, it was, it surprised me. I like me. James Marsden. Okay. It, it was from somebody that surprised me, but okay. Um, no, I, I find him to be very affable. I find him to be a like a multi-dimensional actor. Like he he does have a lot of not necessarily range, but he has a lot of qualities that he brings to the screen. Like he can he I don't know if he can carry a film, but he hasn't he has an energy to him that is really 
really effective as a supporting uh, character. He has a twin brother. Actually, not twin. Uh, they're fraternal twins, not identical twins. Uh, his uh, fraternal twin is um, uh, Billy Crudup. And he is actually the person <laughs> who takes on all the serious roles that James Marsden should have had. Uh, just to clear that up for you. I did not know they were related. No, I'm joking, dude. I'm just saying. (laughs) To me, they're like the same dude. (laughs) Well, they both have sharp features. I'll give you that much. Although James Marsden, uh, traditionally, like as far as I know, he often, he usually plays very animated, very joyful characters. Like he's like in um, Enchanted. Uh, he was very effective at, you know, portraying oh, a cartoon fuck, character come to life. <laughs> I remember him in that. Yeah. Uh, and apparently, and he's actually made out, like, way better than a lot of the other people in this film, anyway, oh, he, like, as far as longevity. He's very underrated as a comedian. Uh, he's, uh, yeah. he, he, he pops up on 30 Rock. He has a fun little, a little uh, episode in Modern Family. The movie doesn't hold up, but he has some seriously funny moments in Sex Drive, him talking shit to the garage door is it's it's gold it's pretty great yeah and listening to the commentary all signs pointed to him being like straight up just a cut up like when the cameras weren't rolling like he's he is a very very funny person um even if he isn't always asked to be that on on camera if you like anchorman too you you at least like him on there as well um Oh, he was great. Yeah. I like Anchorman, too, quite a bit. But, um, yes, James Marsden portrays Cyclops in this. Um, he, his his casting was really funny because, um, as I said, Hugh Jackman is 6'3", uh, which by Hollywood standards is enormous. Um, actors are generally not very tall people. Um, and uh, Famke Janssen uh, is six foot even. Yeah. Um, Cyclops traditionally in the comics is supposed to be taller than both Wolverine and Jean Grey um, so they actually did some of that old Hollywood shit and had him standing on boxes and shit so he could be eye to eye with those two characters who he shares the majority of his screen time with and apparently it was really bothering him after a while just like constantly being reminded that you're too short, you're too short, you're making the film harder to make because you're too short um, but I can see why he was cast, um, because uh, similar to Peter Weller, if you look at his uh, like sinuses down to his mouth, he he has a lot of sharp edges. He has a lot of angles uh, that express a lot. Like when he when he clenches his teeth, you can see his cheeks do the little thing that flare out. That apparently people people really like. Like if if you can see that on a dude, it's like it's kind of hot. It's also like the the jawline thing on the side of your temples or whatever. Point is, he he has that RoboCop face that really works, even when his eyes are you know perpetually covered with you know ruby quartz glasses. But um, what's your take on Cyclops, Kyle? Because this is actually um, this is a point of contention because generally most people hate Cyclops. A lot of people think he's a he's a douchebag. They think he's a tool, he's boring, he's a dickwad, and they don't like him. He stinks, and they don't like him. Uh, he's about the same as Captain America to me. It's just like, he doesn't really do much for me. He's kind of the the logical leader of everybody. He kind of just takes on that role. Um, I don't really have any strong feelings towards him, but he just doesn't. He's just he's just kind of there for me. He's just, yeah, well, there's, the, there's James Marsden, the Cyclops, and he's going to be on screen for a minute in this film in particular 
and pretty much all of x-men films like cyclops is thrown under the bus like constantly like he he has fuck all to do in any of these movies there's a reason why he didn't stick around for x-men 3 uh, because he decided to do something else he decided to do superman returns instead um, because he would actually get to do some acting in that film uh, because cyclops is just perpetually ignored in pretty much all the x-men films i like him in the comics um, but Kyle hit the nail on the head when he referenced Captain America just now. I think that's largely why people don't like Cyclops as a character, is that he's a little vanilla, I guess. He's a Boy Scout. Um, I don't mind that in the comics. In these movies, he doesn't have enough to do for me to even have much to say about it. But uh, Famke Jansen as Jean Grey. Uh, you got anything to say about Famke? She's been on the show before. Uh, one of our earliest and maybe one of our better reviews, uh, Deep Rising yeah. uh, from 1998. I think Fomke Jensen is beautiful. Uh, she was work. It was, she. I had like a. There's something really hot about her in House on Haunted Hill. I don't know what it was, but she just hit it right, just the right time. Um, as far as an act, as far as acting goes, I think she's fun when she's a little over the top. I think you know exactly what role I'm referring to. Uh, but I, as an actress, she doesn't really do much for me. And in this movie, she doesn't really do much either she gets more to do as these as this trilogy progresses uh much more um but yeah this movie it was kind of weird to see because it's just like we're kind of shoehorning all these characters in and nobody really gets to breathe wolverine it's the wolverine movie basically he's the one that we're focused on uh him and rogue for the most part so yeah it just wasn't that much to do in this movie yeah that that's very fair um i I, I too think Funka Johnson is great, um, but a lot of it just comes down to just screen presence rather than like stretching her wings as an actress or anything. I, I haven't been, like <laughs> spreading, I haven't, spreading her wings. <laughs> yeah, I haven't like had my mind blown by any of her, her performance <laughs> or or anything. But you know, Zenya on the top uh, in in Goldeneye, kind of an important role. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. Um, the same goes for Deep Rising, kind of an important role, mm-hmm. kind of an important movie for me personally. But um, yeah, she's always welcome, always happy to see her. Uh, and as far as casting goes, I thought she was well selected. Like I, I felt that she slipped into this ensemble very, very well. Um, she wears the red hair really well as well. Um, and yeah, Jean Grey is an incredibly complicated character from the comics that uh, it's probably better I don't try to talk at length about. But point is... Uh, very similar to Cyclops. Not a whole lot to do in this, although I will say this much. Um, I did notice this time around um, when when she shares the screen with Hugh Jackman, when the two of them are kind of flirting a little bit. Um, I I I thought it worked. Like I I got a little something out of it, although it's it's very brief. And in fact, this movie moves very quickly. Um, in fact, the the director went on record saying that like. That it could have been longer like well audiences actually kind of asked that it would have been longer but uh, it's probably to its benefit but um the remainder of the players uh include the likes of Halle Berry as Storm um who very similar to uh Wolverine is actually part of the second class of X-Men characters from the comics not part of the original um was it four or five I can't remember precisely but it's like Beast, Cyclops, Jean Grey, Iceman, Angel, I think, was the original uh, class. But uh, Storm and Wolverine were part of the 
1970 class, the Claremont class. Storm is an incredibly popular character that, uh, very similar to Cyclops, I don't think they ever got it right uh, in any of these movies. Like, even the new ones, it's just kind of like, are, are we doing Storm? Or what are we doing here? Yeah. Kyle's making faces yeah, at me. <laughs> Steph and I were watching this, and we're like, she's the least interesting mutant power. It's not even that helpful. It's just like, they kind of just, they all just kind of have a crush on her, and she's really nice. Like, she's just a really nice lady. It's just like... Oh yeah, storm! Won't you? Won't you make it foggy? Oh, that's that's doing something. Or it's like raining really hard. Like oh, storm! You gotta let up. This is this is too much. <laughs> this is this power is too much. Oh my gosh, dude! Why is she on this team? Oh, <laughs> it's funny you say that because she's actually supposed to be one of the most powerful, like one of the more powerful X Men, like her weather manipulation yeah. powers. Yeah. Just because you can command the elements, it doesn't mean it's useful for our for for what we're gonna do. It's like, what, what, oh, it's cloudy. It, all it does is tip Magneto off that hey, they're coming. By the way, <laughs> I mean, yeah, that was pretty funny. Where <laughs> the second they do the cloud cover, he's like, oh, that's the X Men. Yeah, like I said, they never get Storm even remotely right uh, in any of these movies. Uh, Halle Berry's performance, I want to say, is straight up terrible, especially in this film, uh, because she's trying to do some form of accent, which I think in the comics and in, and especially in the cartoon, in the Fox Kids cartoon, that that very much was a thing. But what's funny about Halle Berry's portrayal of the character is that she drops it immediately. Like there there is no more attempted at an accent after this film. Like she just gives up. Because I just think she couldn't get a handle on it, and she was just like, "Fuck it, I'm done." Fuck it. Um, and I'm pretty sure that uh, she was kind of throwing her weight around when it came to her involvement in these X-Men films, uh, because of course she would win, you know, a Best Actress uh, Oscar uh, for Monsters Ball, um, which I would assume automatically ups your price point, um, like in terms of you know budgeting on a production. Um, and also, just like by the time you get to X Men Three: The Last Stand, she's oddly like front and center in a lot of the marketing, and in fact, a lot of like the action sequences in the film. It's like Wolverine and Storm. Like, when the fuck are these? <laughs> when the fuck have these two been a big deal? Like together anyway. Like, is Wolverine? Wolverine has the Spider Man effect going for him. He has the Batman effect, where it's like if you make a Batman thing, the people will come literally in their pants yeah um same with spider-man wolverine will do that as well um storm no <laughs> no never they'll come in their pants for different reasons but um uh yeah also it's just like sharon stone from the flintstones that's that's who's on the marketing for this because uh, people because the the bubble the overlap of people who watched monsters ball that are watching x-men that's not even that's not even close to those audiences shouldn't be mixing. That's not a that's <laughs> not a movie for the people. They that won't are be happy here. <laughs> you you come out the other side. I've seen a good majority of that movie. You come out the other side of that movie feeling just down. Like there's there's no high point in that movie. There's nothing happy that happens. It's a sad movie. It's got one of the. Most chilling suicide uh, scenes I've seen on on screen. It's just whoa, that just happened. Kind of crazy. Uh, you should watch it. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a brutal film. Uh, I 
honestly, like, it's been a long time since I've seen it, but I do remember always that she she did win Best Actress for that role. Make me uh, feel good, ah. Yeah. <laughs> I had to do it. <laughs> and, and, yeah, the, the timing of the, of the release and the success of that film definitely bled over into her involvement in X-Men. Um, and also, like, pretty sure Catwoman came around the time we were doing, like, X-Men 3, and she was probably just like, get... I just need to work, man. <laughs> like, like Cat Catwoman hurt everybody involved. Yeah. Um, but uh, additionally, we also have uh, Rebecca Romaine. I don't remember if she was a Stamos at the time. I think Rebecca she was. Romaine. She might have still been a Stamos at the time, but I'll 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 I look think into she that. She was a Stamos. Yeah, Rebecca Romaine, a dash Stamos potentially uh, as Mystique. Um, very very popular character um her popularity only increased um when jennifer lawrence would take on the role uh several years down the line uh very important character uh to just x-men lore in general she has deep ties uh, to many x-men characters uh at one point she was actually supposed to be rogue's uh, biological mother um, but I believe there was a, a, a writing issue, like somebody was taken off the project prematurely, and they nixed that. Um, however, I do believe she ended up being Nightcrawler's uh, mother, uh, like biological mother, um, if memory serves, uh, who will make an appearance in the next film. But uh, Mystique's a wonderful character. Uh, Rebecca, Rebecca Romaine in this film in particular is mostly just here for eye, ca- eye candy and uh, fight choreography, uh, which would kind of become a staple of the character um in years to come was is kind of this stripper fighting uh, basically <laughs> that it's stripper foo if you will uh very much like erotic dance mixed with martial art is kind of mystique's trademark in the x-men films uh, she always has to do some kind of naked aerial kick that turns into a lascivious pose on the floor afterwards again it's, it became tradition on the success of this film and this particular portrayal of the character. Um, I have a really awesome X-Men comic, actually, called Get Mystique. It's a Wolverine. Oh, yeah? <laughs> uh, Wolverine is sick, sicked on her like, like a fucking bloodhound by Cyclops. Cyclops says, we're not playing nice today, Wolverine. Just just go go slice that lady. <laughs> just go kill her. She's terrible. <laughs> and I'm g- guessing the illustrators at the time were uh, ma- having her flat-chested, too. Uh, is that is that how that works? Oh, I, I mean, yes. That, traditionally, that's how the character is portrayed, <laughs> Kyle. I mean, a character who can, who can literally be anyone or anything. <laughs> when you said I had a mystique comic, I'm like, right, right. Uh, how, how'd, how'd you get hey, that man. one? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just reading it for the. I'm uh, just reading it for the articles. Gosh. I mean, speaking of uh, Vigo Mortensen naked fight, if memory serves, uh, the conclusion of that comic is her naked fighting Wolverine. Oh, Uh, she's naked, not him. You don't don't say. Yeah, I don't see how you. uh, No matter what your sexual orientation or preference is, I don't see how you get out of this movie without being fully aroused. It's it's very difficult. There's a lot going on. Yeah, it will move. (laughs) <laughs> and it will get wet. <laughs> no matter what you're working with. Um, this okay. is a very horny film and a very horny franchise. Yeah. So we um, just, yes, uh, Rebecca, go ahead. I was like, we just did like 40 minutes on the cast. Uh, we still have to talk about the movie. Oh, 
Well, how do we do that, Kyle? Because I'm, I'm handing it off to you because I could go all, I could do this all day. In the words of Captain America, as I say, I think, I think we can, I can get the, we can get this in in a tight, a tight sixty. Uh, if we if we if you want to move over to the film proper but i mean if you want to keep well, going i'll go for a smoke if you well, want to keep talking in, about the in cast. in master classes past Kyle we've we've like focused on actors and characterizations of key characters and like how they change or how like how their representation changes from movie to movie um, but we all like in the case of batman we focused on like iconography mm-hmm. and like costuming gadgets and music um visuals production design we didn't so much like go through the movies front to back we just kind of like focused on specific criteria it's hard for me to i think this is one that we should kind of walk through because this was kind of a blueprint for this was like one of the first marvel movies like i think this is a good one to actually walk through because i also don't have a lot of familiarity with the other properties associated with these characters like the phoenix or the wolverine movies i've seen logan i don't remember it at all um but i think it'd be a fun one just to kind of walk through and see how the characters are introduced and i'd be interested to hear like how they're how you liked the characters being portrayed like with their powers and stuff like that because that's something you have more familiarity with okay well at the risk of you know completely making a fool of myself dear listeners i am going to try to hand the i'm gonna step out of the driver's seat i'm gonna try to to hand over the wheel to kyle and just let him let let him take a slow slow and easy down the road this, this is <laughs> no good. tangents. We're we we know where we're going. We got a GPS. I, we got full battery on it. Dude, we're, we're heading straight for the goalposts. I got fun sound bites for this episode. I was very excited about them, so I I want to I want to at least get to use them. But as it moves forward, we can change our perspective on how we're talking about the film, if you'd like. But okay, well I, I'll be color commentator. Then. <laughs> okay. So we're at fucking Auschwitz after we get this opening sequence of. Uh, the neuro the neurons and whatever and i think professor x is talking about mutants we all know like this isn't one of those film films that's just like this movie's made for people that kind of already know what's happening but we're still kind of holding hand like kind of holding hands as we do it which i thought was kind of funny like because i'd never seen this all the way through it's just like yeah i fucking know he has adamantium bones you don't have to tell me well, see, what was interesting about watching this with the girlfriend is she didn't even know that. Like, she, she, like, she didn't like, even how, like how the cultural osmosis. She couldn't even get. Yeah, that. how do you fuck that up? <laughs> like, no, she didn't know about. Wait, that why didn't he die? Like, yeah, it's just like it was like, why is it making a clanging noise when he's hitting that guy? <laughs> that's pretty. Funny. It was it was adorable. <laughs> but but see, that's what was interesting is that that opening narration from Patrick Stewart is there for, for my girlfriend. Yeah, for her. <laughs> and it was actually useful. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So we're introduced to who is going to be Magneto. Uh, and he is being separated from his family at Auschwitz, or, or at least a con- it's definitely a concentration camp. Uh, and yes. through his anger, I don't know if he actually had the power yet, but through his anger, he is able to bend metal um, but I don't think he was able to save his family, from my understanding. I don't know what the later iterations. Okay, I'm getting a, I'm getting a, a communicated here that it, he did not save his family. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, actually, um, 
just to pause for one second. Quick tangent. Um, there's actually a uh, a Magneto comic uh, I think that takes place uh, during his time at the concentration camp. That's, uh, Ooh, oh, it's supposed to be very very good. I have heard about this. This is where uh, no, I'm thinking Wolverine. Wolverine has uh, I think there's a storyline where he's in a concentration camp as well. Yeah, and it doesn't take place at a uh, concentration camp, but um, a comic that actually I think is credentialed as being like potential potentially used in classrooms like like it actually is designed somewhat to be used as a teaching tool um is a a, a red skull comic called incarnate that oh. takes place in 1930s germany and it's about the the child that will become the red skull you know aka captain america's nemesis or antithesis um anyway go ahead Kyle. all right uh but yeah so we leave auschwitz and we go to missouri which by the way we forgot to mention uh, Anna Paquin plays uh, Rogue. Uh, do you remember? I don't remember which VHS it was, but uh, she's in the film Fly Away Home, and that she was one of the like she's the little girl in there, Anna Paquin. And I just always every time she pops up, I just always think about her and Jeff Daniels in that movie. I'm like, I never watched it. I never wanted to because it sounded boring as shit. Because she just like basically nurses a bunch of ducks back to health or whatever. I might have to watch it now that I'm <laughs> now that I'm talking about it, but. Uh, yeah, so uh, we're in Missouri, we get introduced to her, uh, I think she ends up trying to finger blast her boyfriend or whatever, and nearly kills him, <laughs> and uh, she gets kicked out of the house, gets yelled at or whatever it is. She's, I guess she's stumbling onto her powers now. Yeah, two things, or three things, maybe. Um, so, number one, I actually saw Fly Away Home in the theater. Uh, um, uh. Yeah, it w- it was boring as shit. <laughs> um, they're awful. really flying. They're with really me. flying. They're really flying. <laughs> <laughs> they're really flying with me. You know it's, the trailer. Oh, You've seen I, that commercial. Much, yeah. Oh yeah, I had a tape too that had the the trailer at the front of it. Um, I saw that because I was really into Jeff Daniels uh, in the <laughs> in the mid nineties. Like I I liked Arachnophobia, and uh, I was kind of obsessed with Speed. Um, and he was in both of those films. Um. Interesting take. I just happened to catch this uh, random. Uh, Nick Swartzen was talking about Dumb and Dumber and how great of a movie it is, but he pointed out something very fascinating. He says, you see you see these guys, they're idiots, but Jim Carrey has that moment. He's just like, I'm tired of being a nobody. And it's like this really good moment. And it's like, you're invested in these characters now. Like, I'd never considered that for a second. I'm like, that's, that's a really interesting take. Uh, but if you haven't watched Dumb and Dumber in a while, you should you should watch it. Um, well, you know, pre pre uh, Green Book, Fairly. Uh, I forget which Fairly it was that did Green Book, but did anybody see that movie? That Oscar winning film? <laughs> I sure as hell didn't. Yeah, neither neither did I. That's another Vigo film, by the way. But uh, other things were it's a uh, Mississippi, uh, not Missouri. Um, and this film uh, is structured in a really clever way in that a lot of um, a lot of new ideas are thrown at you and then instantly explained like in the very next beat or the very next scene. It's really yeah. it's really tightly constructed in that way because we have that opening prologue explaining mutants are new. It's a thing that's happening right now. Um, but then we have that like dialogueless scene where we see magneto's powers manifesting as a result of emotional trauma and then we have rogue uh, anna paquin who's also a kiwi by the way i wasn't aware what of no yeah fuck off yeah she's a kiwi 
She's one of those. She's one of those Kiwis that's like really clever with her accent, kind of like that lady that was on uh, Two and a Half Men or whatever. Um, she also is incredibly good at covering her accent. The bigger lady. <laughs> the the bigger lady. On Two and no, half? not oh. Conchita. <laughs> no, off. the stalker gal. I forget. I forget. Oh her. I yeah, 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 yeah. I know who you're talking about. Yeah, uh, hey, you know what I'm talking that's about. That's nuts. Yeah, no, she's well, she's born in Canada. Uh, but yeah, she is, <laughs> uh, uh, she is a Kiwi actress. Interesting, but yeah, yeah, she is a Kiwi. Anyway, uh, so yeah, we get some uh, we get some Famke here. I don't know what she's doing. I just have. Oh, by the way, I was trying a cocktail uh, using Capri Sun and gin last night, uh, and we sat down to watch the movie. I'm like, I think I'm a little tipsy, so this will be interesting. Uh, my notes might not be <laughs> entirely accurate. Oh no. Um, but yeah, so Famke's doing something here. I don't know what she's doing. Oh, it's like a, it's like a Senate committee okay, or something yeah. where they're they're discussing quote like and I use this very aggressively quote the mutant problem. Yes. Um, and uh, I, basically, yeah, it's a Senate committee hearing. It's also a public hearing, so they're just like people standing in the sidelines. Um, and she she is a representative for yeah. mutants not having to register because there's a character here, Bruce Davidson. Uh, portraying a senator kelly bruce davis yeah. uh who is well, bruce davis go ahead oh yeah so i was trying to remember his name but yeah the senator he does some real grandstanding here uh he's having himself a real rnc moment uh but i need to play this clip uh for nick and he's the only one that's gonna get it won't you gentlemen have a pepsi uh he's in spies like us and there's a really funny uh really funny moment in there but nick and i love that movie and love that quote in particular um, but yeah, he's he's just outraged. Just he's just very upset, and he storms off. And then we have uh, the meeting with Magneto and Professor X up in the rafters, nearly or wherever they are. Yeah, I I, th- I think this is where they do. I, if I could be wrong, but uh, maybe the Toronto Film Festival or something. But the the building that they shot in has this natural, just like lovely X pattern in the windowing, mm. like in the balcony area. Uh, which is you know a little on the nose but you know professor xavier's uh spokes on his tires are like his, his <laughs> like they also have an axe on them mm-hmm. um but this uh, this confrontation i thought was wonderful um it's very subtle um and it really demonstrates kind of the overarching thesis like of the relationship between these two characters where there's always respect even if there's tension uh so magneto it gives him a stern warning but it also comes with like a a warmth like like his eyes communicate that's like he he tells him straight up don't get in my way um but it also it's like you know i really would prefer it if you don't get in my way <laughs> um but uh this is where it basically it's crystallized in our minds as the viewers that professor xavier wants to find harmony between mutant kind and non-mutants like like homo sapiens and whatnot um whereas magneto who as evidenced by you know a couple of it's actually i think it's really neat that's never actually spoken that he's the child from the beginning in poland like that's that's solid filmmaking that Mm. we never actually have to say the words in order to convey that like you just learn it through the like the filmic language of the film that like subtle things like showing the you know the tattoo on the inside of his forearm um and just his general attitude um and and history in having dealt with you know oppression um in the form of the nazis and whatnot um basically he has a a different viewpoint 
where he's like, I've seen this shit play out before. I have been oppressed simply for existing and being different before. Um, and I'm not going to let it happen again. And uh, one of my favorite quotes in all the X-Men movies happens here. We are the future, Charles, not them. <laughs> Thank you. I'm so glad you had that in the holster. I'll, get, I'll give it to you again. Ready? We are the future, Charles, not them. Yeah, I got that specifically ah. for you. Yeah. Uh, my wife, when I was... I say, I say that instead of goodbye all the time. <laughs> I'll say, won't you gentlemen have a Pepsi? And then, we are the future, Charles, not them. I'll just... Those are just two I'll say by myself in the car. Uh, yeah. I know. It, it's... I don't know. There's something about the sound of it. that just It just rolls off the tongue. It's wonderful. Well, interesting, too, that uh, Ian McKellen was one of the few... Uh, at the time, uh, actors that came out as homosexual, and I think it's interesting that he's also playing this character. Uh, that that line kind of carries a little bit more weight to it. Yeah, I- I'm really glad you pointed that out because um, our director also happens to be a gay man uh, in Hollywood. I think he was also out, like, but he's a bad person. Yeah. Um, so we're not going to honor him uh, for that, but it is truth. Um, but uh, I'm glad you brought that up because. Um, that has long been a very important part of the X-Men franchise, like in the comics, even back in the 60s. Um, it's long been thought of as like mutant, like mutant kind yeah. in comics and in alt media is often thought of as a parallel or an analog to either or, or just other otherness in general. So you know, like other sexuality, uh, just otherness in general. So be a different ethnicity, different race, different like sexual well, alignment. Um, so it, it's always been associated with with that, essentially. And I think the X-Men, as far as characters are concerned, very much draw misfits and your nerds, your yes. outsiders, basically. Um, which is why I wish I would have gotten into the comics when I was younger. I feel like I would have really liked this comic series. Uh, been- That's what I've been telling my the girlfriend for a while now is because i see her watching all these teenage misfit shows and whatnot where it's like okay i see witches that are it's like it's exactly the x-men except the x-men have been doing this shit since the 60s and guess what they've been really good at it (laughs) uh um but yeah go ahead i was gonna say uh I love that we're the future, Charles, not them. But if uh, if I'm watching, we're watching Lord of the Rings. We're watching Fellowship, and he has his iconic "You shall not pass." And if some, I've had it twice now. If somebody talks during it, I will rewind, shush, and watch him deliver that line. Because yes, it is, it is an iconic line, but it still gives me chills because it's so fucking good. This is my second favorite of his quotes: "Is we are the future." I, well said, sir. I mean, the point is, you know, it's a it's an iconic line when he does it. When he let does it. Let him do it. Yes. <laughs> the professional actor. Let him do it. Why are you talking? Hear you do it. <laughs> yeah. <it's> like, <laughs> He's talking. Why are you making noises? Why, you making Why noises? is your face making noises right now? <laughs> um, ah. Yes. Okay. So we get Rogue is trucking. She is... Uh, she is on the Canada transatlantic. I don't know what it's called. Whatever the fucking Canada Highway is, <laughs> uh, she, pro- she she probably knows. She was born there. Uh, she's trucking, and I'm like, 
I was actually really proud of this truck driver. I'm like, he didn't try any funny business, and we didn't even have in the film the trucker try any funny business. It's just, it's nice to see that there's just a genuine guy giving this young girl a ride to the shittiest bar uh, that I've seen in uh, in cinema. Uh, She gets to this bar, and... She's got her eyeballs on this big jar of money, I think, at some point. But the uh, important thing here is that, I guess this happens in the Marvel Universe, we just have uh, just back or like just bar fights in a cage somewhere. Because this is in Spider-Man, like, the same year, I think? Two years later would be Spider-Man. Sp- Spider-Man was 2002? Correct. I thought it was 2001. Weird. Anyway, uh, Sorry. So I'm glad Sorry. you you pointed out the uh, the truck driver. By the way, um, I don't actually know the actor's name, but trivia factoid: um, the that actor uh, was the voice actor for Beast uh, for Hank McCoy oh, on uh, cool. the uh, Fox Kids animated series, and you, you he has a couple of lines, and it's like, oh hey, that is Beast. That's neat. Um, but yeah, uh, we are introduced to Huge Ackman here mm-hmm. uh, as the Wolverine. In fact, they call him the Wolverine, and actually. Um, because this was from a certain era of comic book cinema where we were not especially comfortable with like going full comic book, especially considering Batman and Robin kind of shot the bed, um, you know, in like in going full comic book in terms of aesthetics and whatnot and tone. Um, so this was from that era where it's like we're we're doing a comic book movie, but we we're gonna scale it back a little bit we're, we're not gonna like do all the the aesthetics and like the character designs exactly as they appear on the page just because there was fear that it would be embarrassing because batman and robin was arguably an embarrassment <laughs> uh, I, it has some merits to it not a whole lot but it has some but um point is what i'm getting to here is they found a way to call him wolverine without like without it being completely ridiculous because He's in a cage fight, and he can go by any name he chooses to. So they just call him on the PA. Like, when they're doing the ring announcements, they call him the Wolverine. So it's like, oh, wow, that's a really clever way of getting around that problem, if you think of it as a problem. So, yeah, uh, Wolverine gets into a fight here. Uh, I think he ends up beating this dude, and this dude's kind of salty about it. And he's just like, hey, I'm going to probably pick a fight with you later. And he's like, okay, well, I'll see you there in a minute. Uh, and he heads over to the bar. He gets himself a brewski. And of course, these guys are stirring up trouble. Um, and uh, does he reveal his claws at this point? His adamantium claws? He does. They're, they're teased. His adamantium skeleton is teased during the cage fight, during the organized cage fight. Uh, because, as I said, the girlfriend pointed out, uh, there is a metallic clanging noise whenever he hits his opponent. <laughs> oh, you shouldn't have told her. Did you tell her, like, yeah, he has adamantium bones, or are you just like, just watch, just watch? Oh, I didn't tell her. Okay. I, I think I, I think I gave her a light slap on the thigh and said, no. no. <laughs> like, watch the movie. Hold up the newspaper. Um, but, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, uh, Anna Paquin, Rogue, uh, she is at the bar, and she's like, kind of making eyes at him because she susses out the fact that he might be a mutant as she is um but yeah the the guy that he defeated recently um says you owe me some money because i know what you are as in i know you're a mutant nobody should be able to take as much punishment as you did tonight without showing any cuts or bruises or anything uh so the guy comes at wolverine with a knife 
and uh, Wolverine counters uh, by sticking out his, sticking out his claws in the guy's face. Um, they get into a little spat, and uh, he and Rogue both take off in a huff. Um, at which point, she basically uh, hops into the trailer of his uh, Winnebago. <laughs> Wolverine, snickety, snickety, snoring. What is? How is Jason Mewes, by the way? Is he still alive? Uh, you know, I just saw the trailer for the new Clerks movie. They got him some new teeth. I'm excited for it. I think it's going to be, I think Clerks, uh, Clerks 3 might be, might be a fun time. Dante's, uh, doing a movie. He's making a movie. Uh, so yeah, we'll see. We'll see how it turns out. Um, Very nice. Yeah, so yeah, uh, Wolverine, yeah, he takes off, uh, and then he stops because he hears a noise or whatever it is, and he just finds Rogue in the back. He plays tough, like he's not going to take him. Like, he's going to make this fucking 16-year-old girl uh, trek it in Canada, and she's going to die in, like, 20 minutes, basically, because it's too fucking cold to be outside. But obviously, he takes her with. Uh, he gives her some beef jerky, uh, and then they get into a car accident uh, pretty quick after that. Yeah, this was, you know, the the writing and the filmmaking go together pretty well in this movie. Um, basically, she says, you should put on your seatbelt seconds before he <laughs> hits a fallen tree um, and goes flying out the windshield. Yeah. Um, it's funny because in terms of, like, fight choreography, a lot of these X-Men movies are not brilliant. X2 has some good stuff in it, for sure. Nightcrawler and uh, Lady Deathstrike both, both get to do some cool shit in X2. This one... Yeah, and Mystique and Wolverine have a, a nice little scrap, but beyond that, the fight choreography is nothing to write home about. But the stunt work, the the gags, the wrecks, people flying around on wires and smashing through tables, X-Men's got that. Mm -hmm. um, because this dummy or this person flying through this windshield like 30 feet in front of the truck is pretty fucking spectacular. Yeah. And yeah, he takes a header into a snowbank after being launched as a fucking truck. Still gonna send it. Uh, yeah, she, uh, she's in the truck and, uh, he just kind of gets up and you can see that he can heal himself. Was, was the girlfriend blown away by that or, uh? Yeah, I think there was an audible, oh. oh <laughs> I kind of wish she was on this episode. I'd really like to get her firsthand take of, like, not knowing these characters at all. Because, like, it's, it, it's just funny to me that, like, there's just, so I was hanging out with a buddy of mine and we're just sitting there, like, uh, waiting for, uh, they were making food and. They were like kind of in the living room kitchen area. And he said, what should we do? I'm like, I'll just throw a movie on in the background. And uh, I was just like, I threw on Titanic. I'm like, fuck it. Just have that on the background. We're, it's just going to be on. And he's just like rolling up a cigarette. And uh, he's just like, so what happens in this movie? I'm like, what? He's like, what? I mean, <laughs> what, ha what happens? What, what's going on here? I'm like, you've. You've seen Titanic, right? <laughs> you know what Titanic is. He's like, ah, yeah, yeah, I, I watched it. I think. I'm like, <laughs> he's like, he's like, I thought this was old. I thought this was like took place back in the day. Cause it's like Bill Paxton with the people at the beginning. I'm like, dude, have you you've never seen Titanic? You are 33 years old and you <laughs> you missed Titanic somehow. I don't know how it happened. Well, okay, so Kyle, the the girlfriend hasn't seen Titanic either. Okay. But she knows what the Titanic is. Yeah. He's like she knows there's a ship that hit an iceberg. <laughs> he didn't even know that part of it. He's just like so what oh, they what, that's it. What that's they embarrassing. <laughs> he's That's embarrassing. He's seen five movies. He's just not a movies guy, so like I know the five movies he's seen. Dude, it's history. It's a thing that <laughs> happened. It doesn't matter. Oh, I have God, that's like that 
that's like when I was watching fucking Dragon Ball with this like seventh grader in in middle school. I was just recent. He oh. didn't know who Hitler was. <laughs> he didn't know who Hitler was, and I was like, dude, because like Hitler showed up in Dragon Ball, and he uh, was, and we're, I was all I was all like, oh shit, it's Hitler, and he was like, what? Who's Hitler? Like, well, hang on, you, you you don't know what this that mustache means. You don't know what that haircut means? You don't know what the angry rambling means? What I was getting at with the Titanic story is like, I'm not laughing at the GF because she didn't know it. It's just, it's funny to me how like people do miss these things. I think missing Titanic on his part is way more embarrassing. Than he didn't even know what happened in Titanic. It's like not knowing the end of Sixth Sense at this point. Like if you were to watch that movie now and be blown away by it, like wait, 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 how did you miss it? Uh, no, I, I think I think Titanic is that's egregious, honestly. It's like, pr- it's if, incredible. If you hear the word Titanic, you think iceberg. Like, yeah, that it right you, ahead. You just should know that. It's like it's like World War Two again. It's like you do know who fought in that war. The, correct? the Hitler, <laughs> the, the Hitler one. The, there's the there's the two wars. There's the one with Hitler, and then the one not so much with Hitler. Uh, <laughs> Pretty much, it's like that's all you have to say for me to like confirm you're a human being who's existed on this planet. Are you a, <laughs> uh, uh, you're, are you a fucking alien? Because uh, that's the only one you don't know. <laughs> um, so yeah, so Logan can heal himself, and he smells saber tooth ass. I think uh, I think he's hanging out around here. He's just like, oh, there's another dog out here. Um, and Sabretooth uh, pops up looking like fucking James Hetfield as a vampire. I guess that's the best way to describe him. James Hetfield's the lead singer of uh, Metallica. <laughs> oh, okay. okay. Does that, that make tracks. more sense now? Um, yeah. Uh, Sabretooth, portrayed by uh, everybody's favorite uh, ex-WCW talent, one Tyler Maine. Um, Kyle and I probably be- both know him. Uh, most as portraying Michael Myers in the Rob Zombie uh, directed uh, Halloween films, which I uh, he was part of the. W- oh, go ahead. I do believe next month is Rob Zombie month. I think we're finally going to have to pull the trigger on that. Either that or the assortment of vampires. Either that or the assortment of vampire movies. But one way or another, it's going to be a fun month. Looking forward to it. Either way, I, I will. I will be excited for either one of those. But yeah, Tyler Maine. Um, as far as I know, he worked with the. Uh, my favorite uh, kevin nash for a while um but apparently he was the first person cast uh, first major role cast in this film and actually it makes a lot of sense as to why and it's because uh they needed him to be the biggest person in the room no matter what room that may be um so tyler main was easy he's six nine legit yeah and uh you put him in lifts and he's seven foot plus uh, so it doesn't matter who else you cast after that, they're going to be smaller than him. Mm-hmm. So even Hugh Jackman, who, again, by Hollywood standards, is quite large, next but, to Tyler Maine, he's it's going to look appropriate. But as the thing, he doesn't seem that big to me in this movie. Like, I know, I know the actor, and I know he's huge, but as I'm watching the movie, I'm like, he doesn't look that big. I don't know if that was just, just me or... I think it may have been oversight on the parts of the, on the part of the production. Like maybe they didn't take as much care in framing him, uh, because uh, this movie actually it's really worth noting um, was not a massive budget film. Uh, because again, this was a post Batman and Robin superhero project prior to the MCU, prior to the wild success of Spider Man. Blade did very very well, but the point is, uh, this movie had a. a a substantial budget but not an enormous one and not only that the big thing that's really important to note in watching this movie that i do think is a pretty decent movie um less than two hours long production cycle 
it's less than two hours long and also it was uh it was a troubled production in that the director was a shitheel on the set constantly um and not only that uh their schedule was just it was a fucking shit show like like their release date got bumped up and their production time and their production time got shortened so this was like a nightmare scenario as far as productions go um so it was it it was it was tight is what i'm saying so there there was a lot of stuff in terms of probably cinematography and stunt work in particular uh where they simply did not have the time so i wouldn't be surprised if shooting fucking xwcw talent tyler main like shooting him correctly probably was not as important as getting you know ian mckellen's eye light just right so he's an alleged pederast and an asshole it's a it's a good combination to have there buddy uh. <laughs> oh yeah he no i i read some i did i actually did quite a bit of research that i'm not going to get into on the air uh, but i did want to do my due diligence and actually get get to the bottom of what the deal was with our director and it's it's not good not great he, he was he's not a good person uh then we get storm and cyclops aka Scott! uh i was very excited about that did you catch that i'll say it again i did not Scott! That's Frau, that's Frau screaming Scott in Austin Powers. Scott! Uh, yeah, Cyclops. Oh, yeah. Scott, Scott and Aurora. <laughs> Aurora. Um, yeah, so uh, we get Storm and Scott. Uh, I don't. I just have them written down. I think I was too excited to get the sound bite that I didn't write down what they were actually doing. Uh, do they come, up, come and save the day? This is actually a remarkably lame introduction to the the x-men proper like in full regalia and everything uh, because like if you really break it down like on paper what they do here it's like okay they spook Sabretooth. uh storm makes some wind like she blows up some snow that was already in the air because it's a snowy day uh cyclops um severs a seat belt with his his, his eye beams uh his optic blasts if you will so th- they they get a cur- they get a girl out of a car is what they do. Dude, I That's could, their big introduction. I could use my eyes to get a seatbelt off. What the fuck? Why not cut through the car? <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, I got thumbs, man. I got opposable thumbs. I could, I, you know, if I have a pocket knife or yeah. something, I could do but that. You see, it's cool because he doesn't have to open the door. He could just, like, do it through the car window. It's, you know? Uh, it's, it's kind of, like, bafflingly lame, honestly. Like, I'm I'm surprised I overlooked that when I was 13. Like, I, I would have been the ripe age to be sarcastic and eye-rolly about that, but as an adult now watching it, I'm like, <laughs> that, that was pretty fucking lame. Can we just have a moment for Toad here? Uh, I mean, by far, I don't know if he's a real X-Men character, but by far one of the most disappointing uh, mutants possible. Like, even worse than, I think it's in the second one or a third one where they're like getting all those like really shitty like oh you're like a level two mutant he's like a level one where it's just like i fart and it smells like something that you wouldn't expect like that's his mutant power he's a fucking toad um yeah so folks at home uh ray park uh i wanted to say let's talk about ray park because he had probably one of the most iconic Star Wars character. He played one of the most iconic Star Wars characters, wonderfully, by the way, in one of the best lightsaber battles. And then the poor bastards got this next year. Like this is his next thing. 
yeah, and then it would not get better no, for Ray. That's Bob. it. This is it. It would not get better. No, it it, w- it would not get better um, because um, the the poor guy has uh, often, for a long time, it was regarded as one of the worst films on Rotten Tomatoes. I think mm. uh, Ballistics X versus Sever. Um, he plays one of the antagonists in that film, and he has a little scrap with Lucy Liu at the end. Um, yeah, Ray Park's career uh, kind of did not go to plan. <laughs> it's really unfortunate because he had a, a Steven Seagal-esque launch pad in the form of that Darth Maul role that you would expect that like every every set in the world would want to have him on there, you know, as as a a stunt master or you know a, a fight choreographer or like a you know just a on-screen talent or something. But no, the the roles just didn't really come. Um, to this day, he's still beloved by the Star Wars fan base. As far as I know, the Darth Maul character has been resurrected um, and and continues to be like a, a character in like the prequel stories and whatnot, and like animation projects and in the the Solo movie and whatnot. Um, but yeah, uh, Toad. Uh, I'm not a Toad expert by any means. Uh, I know quite a lot more about Sabretooth. I won't go into it here, other than. Um, the the character that we have here in this movie is kind of saber tooth in name only like he he mostly looks right but in terms of characterization they they really made sure that he wasn't anything other than the muscle like he's not here to be a character he's just the muscle um and toad uh, what little i know about him is that he was the leader of the brotherhood of mutants at one point so he did actually like subsume Magneto's role as the leader of this group uh, at one point in the comics um, but yeah in terms of like just abilities uh, he's super fucking lame he jumps well he's got a tongue and he can spit um, and this movie he, he gets kind of the, the short shrift in the form of uh, I think all their makeup time and budget went to Rebecca Romaine and Tyler Maine because I think all they did was spray paint of green and that's kind of it if that yeah <laughs> Yeah, it, it's really lame. Like they they made no effort to make Toad work. <laughs> no, uh, I feel bad. Toad is not a thing as a result. <laughs> like Toad Toad does not have as many action figures as Wolverine. Toad is not on any lunch boxes. Toad is nobody's favorite, as far as I know. Uh, apologies to any Toad fans out there. Yeah, so I've got Toad, Sabretooth, and Magnets. I'm not really sure what that what that means. Uh, basically, Sabretooth uh, flees. The, the battle with Wolverine and Storm and Cyclops uh, with he was supposed to bring somebody back is what Toad says and uh, he has to go uh, confront Magneto with the fact that he doesn't have anyone with him uh, the movie is withholding who he was supposed to bring back with him at this point but point is he came back empty handed and Magneto um, Magneto has a lot of catty moments in this movie that are really oh he's bitchy. He has a lot of catty moments. Yeah. Oh, he he is very bitchy he's in very these bitchy. movies, and I kind of love it. My favorite moment is when he closes the bars on uh, Sabretooth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, that's pretty. I, cool. I love that. That's so that's so cute. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> um, but yeah, Logan is in. Uh, he wakes up, kind of wakes up in the uh, in some place he doesn't know, sterile environment. Uh, and he just kills fucking Jean. Well, he thinks he does. He just like kill, <laughs> he just like kills Jean Grey real quick. He's like, oh shit! Then he takes off uh, dick out. No, he's got pants on. Uh, he's just running around the facility, and then you just get like a calm Professor Xavier, like, calm down, Logan. Like, 
He's like, where the, where the fuck is that coming from? Uh, he's inside your, he's inside your mind. <laughs> he can talk <laughs> with his mind into your mind. <laughs> it's okay. But nothing I'm going to. Well, I did like that. Uh, I, I did like that there is a, over here. Yeah. Over here. Yeah. Turn there, around. there isn't an yeah. anytime. Anytime. Yeah. There isn't a turn around or an anytime, but there is a over here. Over here. <laughs> trees. Um Yeah, we get a he ends up running around the whole place. It's a mansion. He, you know, dodges some kids. You'd think he would be less freaked out. It's like uh, it's probably a private school, dude. There's kids talking about fucking Nintendo and shit. Uh and he just like <laughs> Busts into this room where uh, Xavier's having a class with like six students, and uh, he's just like, "Oh, class dismissed. I'm gonna talk to this crazy Canadian." Um, and he just basically explains to him, like, "Yeah, I've got this, you know, the school for mutant runaways." And Logan is really just like on the fence about this whole thing. He's just like, "I don't know what kind of what kind of place <laughs> this is. It doesn't seem very great to me." It's like. All these kids are mutants, and it's a pretty happy place, Logan. I feel like you should probably listen to the guy, but you know, like Dick Grayson in fucking Batman Forever, he's just like, I I got to get the fuck out of here, bro. Uh, this isn't this isn't for me. Oof. Yeah, actually, the some of the like the the courtyard area and the the motorcycles really had me thinking mm-hmm. of Chris O'Donnell in the Joel Schumacher Batman films, yeah, and like him stealing the motorcycle and stuff. Like I'm. I'm you know, there's some ideas that were probably borrowed. Like that, those movies were only a few short years before this, and they were most certainly in development at the same time as this film, which, as far as I know, took a decade and a half to get made. It was passed between many, many people. In fact, James Cameron at one point was considering making this before he tried to make Spider-Man and didn't. Oh. Um, but I really love, I yeah, James Cameron Spider-Man. Yeah. No, no, James um, Cameron X-Men is what I was thinking. He would do. I mean, Days of Future Past is basically Terminator. So sure, why not? I, 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 just, I just rewatched Terminator Two like the other night. So yeah, that would have been a lot of fun. Uh, Adamantium bones. I was, I was gonna say Adamantium bones. He could handle that. He knows how to do that. Um, yeah, he knows how to do that right. But um, I did love. There's a nice little joke here when uh, he comes into the classroom that uh, Professor X is teaching. It's like a tutoring session or something physics, but. Um, Kitty Pride, uh, Shadow Cat, has a cameo here. Uh, a character that uh, will will show up in the last Elliot, stand. Elliot um, Page. In, correct. Okay. Um, in the third film, but uh, not no speaking lines in this film. Just like uh, just based on the powers, it's like oh, that's Shadow Cat because she fra- she phases through a door instead of opening it, mm-hmm. and uh, he's like Wolverine's like whoa, and then the timing is beautiful it's a it's a nice gag where she phases through the door wolverine looks over at professor x who holds up a textbook and says physics physics <laughs> physics it's like she just broke them <laughs> but, but yeah we get a huge exposition dump a nice five like three to five minute long montage explaining the charles xavier school for gifted youngsters and the concept of the x-men and like it's it's a huge exposition dump, but uh, it's delivered with a plum and it has an energy to it. Um, I, I like this. This was this was efficient. Um, yeah. It it really tells you a lot in a short amount of time. And it makes sense. And I think this is where we learn that Mag- Magneto is pissed off and he controls metal. I think that's kind of the big thing. It's like, listen, we have one big adversary and it's Magneto, um, and we Correct. think he's got the hots for you right now. Um, but then we get this. Uh, <laughs> 
this senator bitch and uh, <laughs> with with uh, with what turns out to be Mystique, obviously. Um, but yeah. he's taking his little private helicopter to get away from all the rest of the Democrats, and uh, he. Uh, <laughs> He's in this helicopter, and he's just, like, talking to his boys, like, yeah, fuck mutants, and then, oh, shit, it's fucking Mystique. Uh, I think this is her first, is this her first on-screen, where we get the full, the full Mystique? I think so, yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't, I don't remember Mystique showing up in the background of any of Magneto's lair sequences, so yeah, I think this is the introduction, and it's a doozy. Like, even by 2000 standards, this morph effect is pretty decent. Hats off to Rebecca Romaine. She was a Stamos at this point. Uh, doing these <laughs> movies basically naked, like just with like a few latex things, latex paint, and that's pretty much it. She's basically in body paint <laughs> the whole goddamn for all the, the three of these movies. Yeah, you have to be very comfortable with yourself in order to do that. I do know she had a background as a model, uh, so that probably comes <laughs> in handy. However... Yeah, dude, <laughs> she was a model. I'm sorry. I thought you. I thought you just. I. I just. I've always known her as a model. So when you just said she has a background as a model, it's like Giselle. Like somebody said well, Giselle Bunchen. I, I didn't know that honestly. <laughs> like funny. I had to learn that through fucking research. <laughs> uh, Rebecca remains um, Stamos, but before she got Stamos, I don't know if you've seen Shallow Hal. But... I mean, there is such a thing as just being like a pretty person yeah. that doesn't get paid to be a pretty person. You yeah. know, like Dua Lipa. I'm with you. Um, uh, hey, you you hold your tongue. The girlfriend's a fan. Oh, I love no no no. I love Dua Lipa. She's she is okay. Way okay. Uh, um, okay, she she's great. Uh, to use Brad from the Senator Speaks parlance, she's great. Yeah, um, uh, yeah. Senator but, gets taken. But yeah, uh, go ahead. I was gonna say Senator um, gets taken, and then we learn about uh, we we get the Wolverine exposition. Yeah, uh, so Mystique beats the fuck out of the senator. By the way, nine hours in the makeup chair in order to portray Mystique. Uh, she wasn't paid twenty five yeah. million dollars like Jim Carrey. Oh, jeez. Uh, or like, or like Jennifer Lawrence, uh, who, as far as like my memory remembers, like Jennifer Lawrence making every attempt to not be in makeup for any of her movies because she's Jennifer fucking Lawrence. Um, but Rebecca Romaine, goddamn, she kept showing up for this role. I'm pretty sure they refined the makeup process in later films. I would hope so. But this one in particular, nine fucking hours. That that's some Gimli shit right there. That's like, ridiculous. That, that's I mean, you have to be built of some seriously stern stuff nine to handle hours. that. I don't want to do anything for nine hours. Jeez. <laughs> I really uh, that really that is like a nightmare scenario because you are stuck in a chair. You probably pee in a cup if you're lucky. If you're um, lucky, and it, it like the way she described it was, it felt like she was making a different movie from everyone else because her hours. She had to be on set like two in the morning to Ugh. start. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so that's that's she, when you tough lady. You tough have, lady. You have the right to yell at people if they don't get their lines right. If they, you if you did, like you didn't learn your fucking lines, get it get right. <laughs> Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, last trivia factoid I'll, I'll say about Mystique. Uh, she did, in fact, uh, kick uh, Bruce Davis in the face. Oh. <laughs> nice. Yeah, she 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 kind of missed her mark, and she did like bop him good right in the fucking nose. He kicked me in the uh, in the balls, and I. <laughs> uh, nice. And then I'll just go ahead and throw in. Oh, I mean, every time Mystique comes up, you may as well just 
Famke, Hugh Jackman. Oh, fuck Mars. You can throw Mars this in a, there. This is a very sexy film. That's what I'm right? saying. Like, like you, everybody, everyone in this film, minus Toad, yeah. is sexy. <laughs> I mean, honestly, if you're into older, good-looking dudes, uh, Patrick Stewart's right there as well. Uh, it is important, though. I do think it's important that they kind of explain that Wolverine has the uh, adamantium-covered bones, basically. Uh, and I think this was done because he's able to... So his mutant power is that he's able to regenerate. That's his thing. Uh, people think that it's his claws or his thing. It's like, no, it's because he, he has those in there. Like, they're, they're, they were put in there. But he can heal. So when she asks, does it, Rogue asks, does it hurt when, you, when your little claws come out? And he's like, every time. But at one point, he did have bone claws, if I'm not mistaken. Is that... That is that is correct. No, um, that was not a that wasn't official in the comics until that uh that book that my dad got me actually oh. Un- until that until like like nineteen ninety four um it wasn't actually revealed that he was born with one claws. Okay, so next we get uh, the senator with Magneto and what so Steph and I are watching this together and. We have this, this, you know, this exchange about like how mutants are pieces of shit, and of course, you know, Magneto is not about that. But they've got this senator strapped, and then Magneto just takes himself to this big metal circle thing, and then without any explanation, really, he just like turns it on, makes a weird face, and then collapses, and that seems to have an effect on the senator. And Steph and I are sitting there watching this thing, and it's just like, what the fuck just happened? Like, did we miss something? I, I, did, was it explained? Did we just miss it, or did they not explain it at all? It was not. And um, part of what was interesting about watching this movie with someone who knew nothing about X-Men lore going in, not even a little bit, was that it was a nice little test for, for the filmmakers to, to, like, does this work? for for somebody who's never seen any of this stuff before but this is actually an instance where none of that matters this is just a flub in that uh the girlfriend was lost apparently you and your your wife were lost um so a a little bit more information needed to be given in order for that to work they tried to hold it back as like a a later reveal um, but in the moment i understand how that would be very confusing because it a whole grand scene plays out and the whole time you're like i don't know what that machine is i don't know what he's doing i don't uh, like it it's several minutes of screen time where you're just shaking your head saying i don't know what i don't know what's happening he's farting white clouds at people and they seem uncomfortable (laughs) and ian mckellen's face is terrifying because he's baring his teeth at me and the visual effects covering his face are not that great so yeah, so yeah, didn't know what was happening, but it's good to know that nobody knew what was happening. Uh, that's that makes me feel so much better. Um, and then I like this love triangle between uh, Logan, Gene, and. Um, so my theory is, so well, I mean Wolverine's got the hots for Jean Grey. She's got two eyes, so obviously she's attracted to Wolverine. Uh, but Scott and Jean are a bit of an item. And this love triangle persists uh, through, consensually through two movies. Uh, it gets a little, we get into a little bit of a gray area in that third one, you know what I'm saying? Uh, <laughs> but my theory is, is that the reason why she is so torn is that 
both Scott and Logan have the exact same penis. It's like they're both like seven inches and a quarter, same girth, all the same. It's just that they fuck a little different. So she's just really like, ah, oh, man. It's just like, yeah, Scott's like he's, you know, he likes to go a little slower. He's more of a love maker. And then Wolverine's just like drooling, bashing her head against the wall, you know, doing nasty <laughs> shit. And she's just like, what? What? I mean, they're both great. It's just I just don't know which one to settle down with. And it's a real struggle for those two guys. It's just like. They both know the deal too. It's just there's nothing they can really do about it. I mean, that's I could be completely off. Maybe the, maybe the comic books say a little something different, or maybe it was fabricated for this movie. Uh, your thoughts? Um, it's it, it was always like a, a will they won't they kind of thing. It, it, okay. it was a love triangle. Like it, it's like it started out if memory serves in the in the earliest comics. Scott and Jean were a thing, and Wolverine wouldn't be invented for another decade. Mm. Um, but then when Wolverine joined the team, yeah, yeah, he was always kind of he always kind of had the hots for Jean. Um, but as far as I know, they never actually hopped in bed together. Um, I, I could be wrong on that, but I, I don't seem to remember that ever happening. Um, Scott and Jean got married at one point. She dies like three times in the comics. <laughs> She's a very complicated character. I really don't want to get into it, but um, if memory serves, the the dynamic in the comics was more. It was it was more Wolverine was interested in her, and she entertained it. But she was always with Scott, um, even when Scott was a mega dick. <laughs> um, but uh, I like your interpretation better, though, Kyle. <laughs> thank, thank you. Um, but yeah, so we just get some 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 big dick off here, and uh, Wolverine goes to sleep, and Rogue happens to hear him uh, having a night terror, which I was getting a chuckle out of his night terrors because it's literally. I have a drop for you, uh, fucking Simpsons, uh, Homer having night terrors on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> Cobras. <laughs> <laughs> I can picture it. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's funny. And again, no, but hey, maybe there's a house rule. Like, they just have a big sign that says, nobody fucking wake up Logan. Because he will kill you if you do. <laughs> he doesn't like me. And why is up. he bunking with the kids? No shit. This, like, is, a, why is, this is a hazard. <laughs> Oh, That's a grown-ass hairy man with claws. Why is he in there with the kids? He's not a chaperone. It'd be less dangerous to have the director in there. My God. Uh, oh. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, uh, God. Oh. Also, I, I do want to get into... Uh, so he ends up... I don't know how this works. He ends up stabbing Rogue, but she ends up sucking her death back from him. Can you explain this to me? <laughs> Uh, yeah, so this is very important, and we did gloss over it. So, dear listener, if you are one of those people who knows nothing about X-Men, we'll get you up to speed right now. So, uh, Rogue, um, portrayed by Anna Paquin, very very important character to X-Men lore, mm-hmm. actually was introduced uh, to, pe- to people our age in a very funny way, uh, because a lot of people, a lot of our contemporaries really love the cartoon version of Rogue. Mm-hmm. Like, they fell straight straight head over heels for for the southern belle that was Rogue in the cartoon, in Fox Kids, with the big ol' hair. Mm-hmm. That hair band, that big ol' hair, that big ol' leather jacket, Rogue worked for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, 
that's in that is actually an atypical representation of rogue um, that was the rogue from the early 90s in the comics um, that rogue um, stole the powers of captain marvel um, aka brie larson uh, from the mcu movies um, so rogue her mutant power that her innate ability is that she steals the life force of people that she touches mm -hmm. so any physical contact results in grievous harm to anyone that she touches but she is strengthened by it yeah and in the case of mutants or powered people she copies and steals their abilities usually it's like a lesser form of it but the point is she takes what other people have um so in the opening when she uh, as kyle so eloquently put it uh was preparing to finger blast her boyfriend cody um he had a seizure and almost died mm -hmm. um and went into a coma for three weeks um because she was pretty hot for cody and it awakened her mutant power um as they were smooching um so from here on out for the rest of her life she can no longer touch other people without hurting them kind of sucks yeah uh very very interesting character like like that's a very unique situation for any character to have but um like i said in the cartoon that we all know and love uh rogue had like superman-esque powers like she could fly she was super fucking strong that was all captain marvel stuff um so most of our contemporaries introduction to the character was inaccurate to the general vibe of the character like this movie version is actually more true to the source material although the the earliest version of, of comic book rogue was actually a villain uh, she was actually part of the the, the brotherhood of mutants um that the x-men are doing battle with in this film uh, so they kind of flipped it like she was an associate of mystiques uh, in the comics um but uh, to wrap it all up um, when she touches wolverine after she's been stabbed through the chest she steals his healing factor um to save her own life but also like knocks him the fuck out because <laughs> um, it it does a lot of harm to you yeah unfortunately her character takes the the arc of uh yeah i just want like that that freezing guy to like bust it open but like i keep like almost killing him so like i just ain't gonna work unless i get that vaccine um that's pretty much her uh it's her story arc moving forward uh, uh her name shouldn't be rogue it should be donna ray <laughs> donna dixon uh, deb 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 <laughs> uh so we get an oops and uh, professor x explains as trevor just did he basically explains rogue uh he doesn't go into as much detail as you did um, but oh, what Kyle? Different, different movie. Professor X rolls into the room, backs out slowly. He just rolls in and without turning around, just backs straight out <laughs> after, dump, after the exposition dump. Hey man, why are you all in my waist? Um, so <laughs> this is like it's. I feel like it's the. It's very similar to the moment in the Casper movie. When they try to turn oh, him into fuck. a real boy, and then he turns into an egg, and his eye like drips off the side, the senator wakes up from whatever the fuck happened to him, and he's messing around in a jail cell. Yeah, uh, this scene was really cool uh, from an effects standpoint. This this holds up um, because he's he's like kind of banging his head against these steel bars, and uh, as he's doing so, his face starts to squish through them um and the stretching 
and squeezing effect on his face still, I think, looks pretty fucking good by today's standards. Um, but basically, what we're supposed to get from this is that he was changed by whatever Magneto did to him. Long story short, the machine that Magneto's using, he thinks, uh, turns people into mutants. It doesn't work very well, though. Uh, it kills you. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, not immediately, but it irradiates you and kills you. But it does give you, like, some mutant powers in the form of him, I guess, turning into water, mm -hmm. uh, making him pliable. Uh, but this is where we get that really uh, bitchy moment from Magneto, where uh, the senator actually slips through and falls out into the ocean from Magneto's island. And uh, Magneto just sees, like, hang on, Sabretooth, like, your one job, your one job was to keep him from escaping and you fucked up yeah so like magneto like leaves the cell and then uses his magnetism powers to close the bars behind him thereby locking saber tooth in there for a bit it's it's very catty i kind of love it um but i like this scene with pyro or whatever his name is or not pyro uh the the, the freezy kid with the chin um he comes up to rogue and he she's just like freaked out after she almost killed uh hugh jackman and he's just like, you're a piece of shit. I'm never going to finger you. Like, you have to get the fuck out of here. Like, Professor X hates you. Like, it's really embarrassing why you're even still here. And she's just like, okay. And then fucking takes off. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, spoiler alert, that was not uh, Bobby Drake slash Iceman no. as portrayed by Sean Ashmore. That was actually Mystique. Um, and yeah, everything Kyle just said is 100% accurate. That was verbatim <laughs> what was said in the film. Uh, I, you know, I go for accuracy, accuracy here, Trevor. That's, that's, what, that's what I'm here for. It's what the people want from me. Um, but now they're like, "Where the fuck's Rogue?" Uh, and this is where we introduced to Cerebro, I believe. We might, we, we may have seen it, uh, but it's not explained really until now. Yeah, uh, this was cool. This is a bit of iconography from the X Men franchise that should be in an X-Men film and they do it pretty much straight like like this pretty much is what it looks like in the comics so the chamber's different like the chamber is much grander than I think was in the comics at this point but the helmet the shape of it and the cables and whatnot pretty much comic book accurate but basically it's a device that lets Professor X amplify his uh, tele telepathy mm -hmm. uh, so he can peer into the minds of pretty much anyone on the planet very important for the next film um, but in this one, all he does is uses it to locate Rogue, and it's actually kind of silly because we get this whole big visual effects extravaganza showing him like zipping from person to person trying to find Rogue, like, and then he comes out of the chamber. He just like rolls up to the other X Men. And he's like, "She's at the train station." And it's like, "Where's that?" Like, "Just down the road." <laughs> it's like, "Oh, cool." <laughs> like that was really not much cool yeah um but yeah now they know where he, where she is uh so the x-men are dispatched uh to retrieve her and we get a nice little action scene after some nice drama between her and wolverine i did like their interaction on the train okay. uh yeah it's it's a nice moment between the two of them um let's see here uh where's my motorcycle mystique fucked up something what mystique fuck up train chat uh she she uses her ability to change into anyone uh to get into the cerebro chamber there by, you know changing her eyeball uh, for the retina scanner uh retinal scanner uh, and she monkeys with cerebro's inner workings uh, she puts some doohickey in there that hurts whoever uses it in there okay um yeah and then we get 
uh, the quote scream for me. Who says that? Tyler Mate, uh, Sabretooth. He grabs, uh, he does not choke slam uh, Halle Berry in this film, although I'm pretty sure he wanted to. <laughs> um, but yeah, he picks up he picks up Storm by the throat and he says scream for me, but um uh basically at the train station, Wolverine is busy comforting Rogue and trying to convince her to go back to the school. Um and in the meantime, Storm and Cyclops uh end up doing battle with Toad and Sabretooth. Uh Sabretooth gets the the shit kicked out of him. He gets flung through a wall by Storm, uh who hits him with a lightning bolt. Uh Toad actually uh, cleverly flicks he, he like steals uh cyclops's visor um which again in terms of like explaining to the audience how things work this was very effective because it's the first time we see cyclops without any form of eyewear and we see that without any form of eyewear or, or ruby quartz lenses uh he his eyes shoot uh jello beams up into the sky and blow the roof off of the fucking train station so he has to shut his eyes he's combat ineffective at this point mm. okay uh, so we get Toad and Scott uh, then I have uh, Magneto uh, once Rogue yeah. yeah he shows up at the train uh, so Wolverine and actually the girlfriend had a fun moment here where she was like hang on Wolverine's got metal in him right and Magneto like does magnets right yeah and she was like oh this is a, a terrible matchup and i was like yeah it's it pretty is. <laughs> awful it's about as bad as it could be uh. I, really it, it's basically you, you picked exactly the wrong guy to stand up to magneto um and yeah magneto just picks him up like a rag doll and uh he does a really brutal thing to him here like he, he has him like in a t-pose with his arms outstretched and his claws are out and he actually like pulls them apart like he stretches like like if you were to take your fingers and like stretch them vertically mm-hmm. like apart from each other he does that with his claws and then he throws them down the train car and there's a n- nice little bit where his his arms are spread wide and they slam on the door frame so he like has to like fold his arms inward as he's getting flung backwards it's pretty brutal it's pretty cool um long story short magneto gets rogue um and then there's a confrontation outside uh, the train station as he's trying to leave uh, with the other mutants a um, bunch of police have them held up at gunpoint and there's a pretty cool scene here do you want to oh yeah do you want to do you want to walk through this one i figured you'd want to talk about this one yeah it's pretty cool uh, so there's a a multi-faction standoff here where basically magneto is standing at the exit of the or the entrance of the train station and then uh there's a whole bunch of police holding their guns at him and he's master of magnetism so he just takes all their guns from them and like flings a couple of cop cars upside down and whatnot and he actually turns the guns on their owners um, and cocks them and everything to threaten them um but he's interrupted when Sabretooth uh preps him for a choke slam <laughs> like Sabretooth puts his arm his hand around his neck and both Sabretooth and toad uh it's revealed are um, being possessed uh, mentally or psionically by Professor X, uh, who's using them as a conduit to speak to Magneto because the helmet that Magneto wears prevents Professor X from accessing his mind. As dorky as it looks, it actually has a utility in this movie anyway. Um, but long story short, it's a standoff. 
Um, Professor X is threatening Magneto, and Magneto's threatening in return by saying, I will have all of these guns shoot all of these cops um, if you don't let me go. Yeah. Um, so Professor X blinks, and uh, he ends up getting away uh, with, with Rogue. Uh, so the X-Men kind of lose this one, as they generally do. The X-Men lose all the fucking time in the comics and in that cartoon, man. Um, yeah, so we get... Uh we get I, I do like the Professor X controlling Sabretooth because even I was watching I'm like that whoa what's happening it just kind of really threw me off um, but yeah so let's see here the senator comes looking for Jean Grey yeah he shows up so Wolverine's frustrated he wants to go back out to look for Rogue um, Professor X has an oopsie daddle or oopsie daisy um, in the form of trying to put on his uh, cerebro uh, but because Mystique monkeyed with it. It puts him into a coma, so he's useless. Um, Wolverine's pissed, uh, so he wants to go out looking. Uh, and then, uh, no, that doesn't happen yet. Sorry, I'm a little ahead. Of, I'm a little ahead of schedule there. That does happen. Um, but the senator shows up, and he's looking for Jean Grey because he he's afraid to go to a normal hospital uh, because he doesn't want to be seen as a mutant because he's very anti-mutant. Um, so he's he goes to the only place he can think of that would be tolerant of him at this point. Uh, so he's desperate. Um, and long story short, uh, he turns into water. Uh, he he just dissolves yeah. into a puddle. Um, but the effect again, I think looks pretty solid, especially by the standards of the day. Uh, but even today, I think it looks pretty good. Uh, he has a nice little moment with uh, Halle Berry where he's almost coming to understand what it means to be a mutant and to be ostracized but but like true to life he doesn't actually get there even on his deathbed like he, he's starting to get there but no he expires before it can happen uh, but go ahead Kyle yeah can you explain can you explain why Magneto wants Rogue because we were completely confused by this so this was very confusing uh, for a variety of reasons. Um, one is that uh, how does he know what she does? Like, like he doesn't have Cerebro. How does he? How does he know that a brand new mutant can do what she does? Um, and the other is that kind of the reason why it's explained he's using her. Wolverine actually would be a fine candidate for it because he regenerates mm -hmm. and he can handle pretty much any trauma you put him through. So. It's a really shitty explanation, but basically the machine that Magneto uh, has devised that he thinks turns people into mutants, it actually kills them, um, it drains him. Like, it it harms him very badly to use it. Um, so his plan is to lend Rogue his powers, which are extraordinary by mutant standards. Like, as, as far as mutants go, he's incredibly powerful. Like, he's unique in that way. So his plan is to embody her with his strength and then have her stand in the machine in his stead and probably die while he gets to live, presumably so he can lead or something, like lead the new, uh, newly created mutants, like the new mutant population. Okay. Um, but it's very, it's funky. Like, it's not well explained. And the girlfriend uh, also had the same issues you guys did. Okay. So hopefully, I, hopefully I wasn't the, the only one not being able to figure that out because we were just like I I don't understand what's happening. 
Um, no, apparently it's it's a problem. Um, I only know it because I've seen this movie many, many times. Uh, so Jean goes into Cerebro, but nothing happens. Like, Scott gets to her before anything even happens. Am I wrong? Uh, she does find out where Rogue is being taken. So okay. she does... She uses it just long enough, and it is explained that she doesn't use Cerebro because it's dangerous for someone like her. She has similar powers to Professor X, just not to the same extent. Um, but she does use it long enough to figure out where Rogue is going, which you know explains how our heroes are able to, you know, catch up to them before they can do what they're doing. Okay. Um. Yeah. Then we get. Uh, I guess bad guys are up to no good. Uh, they stole, um, they stole What's-Her-Face. Uh, did you catch the spandex joke? I'm sure you did. Yeah, that was very cute, actually. So, uh, we we were shown the Blackbird earlier in the film. Uh, it's the, the X-Men's X-Jet, essentially. Um, but we actually get to see it flown, uh, during the closing act of the film. And while they're flying in it, um we get to see all the X-Men costumes and we see that they're all basically black leather with X patterns on them, which was adopted for the comics around the time of this film's release because synergy and whatnot. Um, but uh, Cyclops uh, and Wolverine have an exchange here where um, Wolverine's complaining about the outfits and Cyclops says like, well, would you prefer we wear yellow spandex or yeah. something? Uh, which is, of course, a nod to the original costumes for the X-Men from the 60s, which were yellow and, I think, blue or or black. Like It's either navy or black-colored uh, costume, did which they actually did kind of do for first class um, many years down the road. But in this one, they're, like again, shying away from the comic book source material. Did you have to explain that one to uh, the girlfriend? No, I just let it go. She had a chuckle at it, but okay. but I didn't like there, there's a problem kyle like our, our remote doesn't function properly so like backing up doesn't work very well on blu-rays on streaming it's fair game and uh i'm pretty sure your wife has the same issue the girlfriend is relentless with the rewinds uh, if she misses if she misses a snippet of dialogue like that she feels is important we're going back but on the blu-ray I can veto that shit because I'm like, it, 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 it doesn't work. I'm sorry. It's not my fault. Like, we just got to keep going. It just it doesn't work. I'm sorry. <laughs> gotcha. Um, uh, yeah, I think this is where Storm makes her not so uh, not so secret entrance. And then I just like, it kind of fogs up as we get to. So we're at, I think they said Ellis Island is where this is supposed to be. Yeah. Um, so the... Uh, the, the whole the whole plot is centered around Magneto trying to use this device, um, and there is a like world like peace committee or some shit going on on Ellis Island, which includes world leaders from all all over the planet. Mm-hmm. So the idea is he's going to trigger the machine and transform the world leaders like from every nation under the sun uh, into mutants uh, forcibly. Um, so his machine is on the Statue of Liberty, uh, which is very corny, but very comic booky if, if we're being honest. Um, but yeah, the uh, the peace committee or whatever is on Ellis Island nearby. They fly there after uh, we see uh, Rogue's uh, not Rogue uh, Storm 
uh, has the fog come in, and we get, we're not alone. Uh, so they, they all gear up. Uh, and then we get Wolverine versus Wolverine, which I thought was fun. Oh, this was a, a little, little fun bit. I do like the... Uh, we get to see... It's obviously Mystique is uh, taking on the, the form of Wolverine at some point. And they're like, which one is which? And then one of them just like closes the door behind them. So it's like, well, that was obviously Mystique there. Yeah, uh, the, the choreography of the Wolverine and Mystique fight is head and shoulders above pretty much every other scrap in the movie the rest of it is mostly just people it was the year 2000 crouching tiger hidden dragon just came out or would come out that year the matrix came out the year before uh, wires were in vogue um however the matrix was a unique hollywood production in that they spent like nine fucking months doing martial arts training for the film Whereas a film like this, no, we're, we don't have that kind of time or money or budget or, or whatever. Um, so instead, we'll just put people on wires and call it good. Uh, so a lot of cool stunts where people are slamming into things and going flying through the air and stuff. But in terms of like actual hand sparring and like kicks and stuff, like actual striking and whatnot, it's not terribly complex. But I did like the attention to detail and like character where also the, uh, the beat where uh, Wolverine... Uh, sets off the metal detector big hit in uh in the theater when i was a kid uh, especially when he uh, flips off uh cyclops with the middle claw yeah <laughs> very big hit with the kids in the audience um but yeah mystique uh drops in on them and impersonates wolverine and we have wolverine on wolverine violence but the way you can tell which wolverine is which is uh mystique just kind of flares her personality by like making like a kissy face at him Mm -hmm. like she like like she like puckers her lips and like kisses the air in his direction and like she has like a perpetual smirk um whereas wolverine is kind of like deathly serious during this exchange and also nice attention to detail in that her wolverine has claws but they're not made of adamantium so when they do clash claws inevitably uh hers just get lopped off like just like bang they're off and uh, also, the <laughs> I always thought it was really jarring when uh, Rebecca Romaine's scream comes out of Hugh Jackman's face. <laughs> like it's really jarring and weird. Um, but yeah, uh, all the like all the parties are kind of separated. Uh, so like Toad is like futzing around with the ladies. Um, I forget what Cyclops is doing. He's just kind of like farting around. He's, he's like lost. He's literally <laughs> scratching his ass and smelling it. Uh, he's really doing not much else. Uh, and, no, he's like absent. <laughs> and then we have one of the most iconic bad lines of a movie. I had to, Steph and I were kind of talking. I'm like, oh, wait, Steph. I actually just know that this line is bad because I've seen a clip of this, but I've never actually seen it in the movie. Uh, I didn't. I didn't get it, but it, it, we can just say it here. Hey, Trevor, do you know what happens when a toad or when a frog gets hit by lightning? The same thing that happens to everything else. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant writing. Yeah, oof, it's terrible. I'm, I'm going to take this opportunity to highlight a couple of details. Okay. So, one. Uh, in listening to the commentary, uh, unfortunately, the the person who is also in the room with Brian Singer on the commentary track is also apparently an equally terrible human being. So I'm not even going to say their name, but uh, they did actually have an alternative for this line um, 
the the answer to the question is it croaks, um, which is much, mildly clever. It's better. Trevor, it's better. That's much better. That's like <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's like no. I mean, I, it was it was one of those things where it's like, huh? You just came up with that. That's so much better. It's a, <laughs> it's a bad joke. It's like a dad joke. Yeah. It's a bad dad joke, but at least it's a joke because. <laughs> The line as it is is pretty stupid. Uh, yeah. yeah. Poor, poor Halle Berry. Um, but yeah. O- other detail I wanted to point out is uh, on the subject of writing. Um, the writing credits for this film are actually kind of a story unto themselves. It's like bizarre. Um, nobody wanted to own this baby. Like nobody wanted to put their name on this thing. Like Joss Whedon was involved in the writing of this thing at one no. point. Um, yeah, uh, Michael Chabon was working on it at some point. Uh, Christopher McQuarrie, uh, who worked on The Usual Suspects, and uh, I believe is basically uh, Tom Cruise's bitch these days. Um, good filmmaker, but he seems like he's mostly just a proxy for Tom Cruise, honestly. Um, he also uh, did a, a lot of the heavy lifting when it came to the writing, but none of those people put their name on it. Um, instead, the screenplay is attributed to David Hayter, uh, who your brother, and maybe you, will know as the voice of Solid Snake um, from Metal Gear Solid. Um, he has a cameo at the very end of the movie, and uh, uh, for whatever reason, this script was attributed to him. Uh, he did a rewrite of it at one point. He he worked as Brian Singer's assistant during production, and somehow the baton just kept get, got, getting passed between parties until eventually he got credit i don't know if he did the work um but there it is <laughs> there it is uh speaking of there it is we watched uh the new jurassic world jurassic world dominions on peacock right now it's not very good it's not but i had i had the more fun with this one than i have with the other two i will i will give you that much i like jurassic world i i straight up like that movie um, mostly for the t- last five minutes. Um, I like I like the dinosaur on dinosaur violence. The choreography of it is awesome. Um, Fallen Kingdom is awful, bizarre. Yeah. It it's it's a weird watch. Um, I can't hate it because of that because it is so weird. Um, this one was just like a wet noodle, man. Mm-hmm. Like they you can't you can't end your movie like that and and fail to one up. like two movies back like go big or go home like just make it bigger dumber louder and they didn't do that i like the first third of it actually i was on board for a while and then they get to the island no they get to the alps or whatever they get to the facility in italy Mm -hmm. and i was like this is a fucking clown shoes star wars movie now like we're skulking around corridors in a fucking jurassic park movie yeah, what the? We literally <laughs> that movie angered me. We literally watch Ellie and Doctor Grant rekindle their relationship on screen. Yeah, no, it. I had fun with it. It's way too long. It's really stupid. Uh, but uh, that Jeff Goldblum really got me a long way because <laughs> he he's still he, he was still what little bit he got to be charismatic worked. I did like that he and, quote, the olds in the movie were revealed to be incompetent. (laughs) It was all just the one guy who was competent among all of them. They're just there to to do the legwork, essentially. Uh, 
Yeah, dude. So I was getting pretty drunk at this point, so my notes are not going to be uh, very, very coherent because I have they control our fate. Wolverine versus what I, was supposed to be Sabretooth uh, in my notes. That's not what is written down. Um, <laughs> uh, so I guess the Wolverine and Sabretooth fight, uh, uh, which is quite a bit of wire work, I would say. Yeah. Uh, la- last behind the scenes detail. Oh, there's I'll more. Hopefully, have. Um, yeah, just one more, yeah. and this one might actually be kind of cute. Um, so, it uh, also has to do with Mystique. Uh, so, the part of the reason why that sequence is better than the others is, I think he was involved in all of it, but uh, Corey Yuen uh, is the cited as the choreographer uh, for that scene in particular, probably the whole movie. Very accomplished uh, Hong Kong director and choreographer. Um, but one of his translators and assistants was a short round uh kehi kwan uh from you know yeah. temple of doom uh who recently showed up in uh everything everywhere all at once um you can see him bopping around in like behind the scene shoots like he was assisting with the choreography so it's like if you're ever curious uh what he was up to in the year 2000 uh, that's what he was doing he was helping uh hugh jackman get kicked in the face by rebecca romaine <laughs> all right um, anyway uh saber tooth and wolverine go for it no, no, that's that's all you. That's the. Film. Oh, it's it's all me. Okay, so uh, our heroes uh, get up to the torch of the Statue of Liberty, where uh, Magneto's device is housed, and Sabretooth is there uh, as like his last line of defense. Uh, Magneto instantly humbles all of them by using his magnetism powers uh, to like strap them to the walls of the inner chamber of the torch with like metal and whatnot, and he also takes off Cyclops's visor. Um, Wolverine is put against the wall of the torch uh, with his his knuckles facing like his armpits, um, which was a good idea in theory, but not so great because Wolverine actually takes advantage of that to stab himself through the shoulder blades so he can free himself, um, at which point he uh, ends up throwing hands with Sabretooth on top of the Statue of Liberty uh, because that's what you do in a big dumb blockbuster movie. It's a nothing little fight. Like, like it's... You know, I know Tyler Maine is a capable physical performer. I know Hugh Jackman is as well, but this was obviously very rushed, not especially well choreographed. This does have that super jank CGI effect. Very clever in concept, but poor in execution of Wolverine being tossed and uh, catching himself on one of the crown spikes of the Statue of Liberty, and we get that 360 shot, that very Juhei Kitamura-esque shot of him floating all the way around it, and uh then he like jumps into Sabretooth knuckles first and stabs him through the chest. Um, all the X-Men use their powers together to launch Sabretooth out the, the, uh, the Statue of Liberty and onto the boat in which he arrived, uh, which brings us to the grand finale where Rogue is up in the machine, which is going off because uh, Magneto just uh, touched her face and transferred his powers to her. Um, so she's strapped to the machine. All the, the white light show is coming out of her, and it's like heading towards Ellis Island. And uh, in true X-Men tradition, they have to use all of their powers combined to not make Captain Planet, but uh, save the day, essentially. Uh, so Storm throw, uses like the wind to make an updraft to throw Wolverine up to the top of the machine. Jean Grey doesn't... She has telekinesis. She can move objects with her mind. 
she doesn't just do it. Like, she's told, oh, Storm's gonna do it. Like, Storm has to do something. Let her do it, and you keep her from doing it too hard so she doesn't, like, fling him into the atmosphere. So she's just there to stabilize him with her telekinesis. And then Cyclops uh, is there to, like, shoot her just in case. Um, so he's, like, thinking about shooting a machine, but then instead he ends up shooting Magneto. Uh, Rogue sprouts some gray hairs, which is fitting, being as that's, like, one of her signatures from the comic books. Uh, long story short, Magneto's down for the count, not dead, just out. Um, Wolverine destroys the machine. He saves Rogue. And then uh, we get this really like weirdly emotional bit where she's presumed dead mm-hmm. uh, and Wolverine like hugs her and like his 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 powers aren't being taken for a minute there so he's like I think she's dead mm-hmm. but then as he's embracing her uh, her powers activate and uh, all his wounds reopen as a result of her stealing his essence and uh, she is saved um, I did want to point out the soundtrack is done by Michael Kamen, who will not work on any of the other X-Men films, but I do think he is an underrated composer, and I do think he did some good work on this film. Apparently, the the producers were really rough on him and asked him to re-write, uh, rewrite a shit ton of stuff. Uh, they weren't happy with what he did. He is a unusual composer, even though he you know gave us Lethal Weapon and fucking Die Hard. Um, his style is not typical among like action movie composers um but i did i do think he hit the right tone in the finale here because like if you stop and you think about it for two seconds uh it is a weirdly it is a weird vibe like this this isn't a victory this is like mutants mutant on mutant violence for nothing really like magneto still thought he was right he still will when he wakes up and really this was just like in fighting uh rather than like good guys versus bad guys so it's it's interesting that instead of like the heroic triumphant like heroic theme or something playing here it's just kind of this like melancholic tune that plays instead i'll take your word for it i didn't hear it um (laughs) uh yeah so they saved the day mystique made it I have that written down. I don't know why that's important. Yeah, the uh, the cop that inspects her body uh, is the writer, David Hayter. That's Solid Snake, Nick, if you're curious. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Mystique makes it, and then I have Gene and Logan, I guess. So they have in their will-they-won't-they they chat or whatever, or she convince him to stay there and help be an instructor or something. No, uh, he's, he's, he's got to hit that old dusty trail. Yeah. <laughs> um. And then I guess the glass, the glass chessboard, I guess, is the last, the last piece of this. <laughs> yeah. So Wolverine is, uh, he was promised by Professor X uh, when they first met that, um, in exchange for his cooperation, Professor X will. Wolverine doesn't have his memory at this point. That was for a very long time in the comics. That was a big part of his character. Like especially at this point, like Wolverine did not remember his past and and how he came to have an adamantium skeleton. Professor X promises to help him remember things or at least figure out about his skeleton. So he actually gives him uh, the like a location he can go to um, to try to investigate, which is the plot of the second film. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where Wolverine's going. Um, and yeah, the last scene in the movie is a, it's a doozy. It's wonderful. 
Um, I love the set construction and I love the dynamic of the two of, of uh, Professor X and Magneto uh, matching wits uh, both on the chessboard and with their, you know, verbiage or with their words. Um, but Professor X, uh, they basically both issue warnings to each other that Magneto says, like, I'm going to get out. And Professor X tells him, well, I'm going to be ready. <laughs> so like, go ahead, get out. I will put you back. Um, and then we get the, the wide shot showing that Magneto is in a plastic prison. Uh, that's a really cool idea. I, for some reason, I think that's really neat. Like that basically the only way they can house him is to remove any metal from his vicinity. Um, and and I, I, the X-Men theme music plays uh, over the last shot of the film. And again, I do think Michael Kamen did a good job with it, even though he was not invited back to any of the other films. And I do think he passed away uh, not that long after this. Um, which is unfortunate, but yeah, that's uh, that's X Man's. Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> out with a whimper. Oh, so exa- I'm sorry, folks. I'm very exhausted. I've had a very long day, uh, very long weekend. It's been very long. Hopefully, I didn't bore you too much uh, with my with my contributions. Um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to, if I'm not on the episode next week, uh, I'm at least looking forward to going back and rewatching X2. Um, but yeah, this was, this was fun. I actually, I, I liked it. This was the right pay, like, uh, this was the right length of movie. An hour and 45 minutes is just right. That's uh, 90 minutes is good, but this, this is just right. Uh, got what I needed out of it. Sets up the next two movies. I do think that you could add more in these movies. These could be longer, and I think I would still enjoy it, even at like two hours, two hours and fifteen minutes. Um, but it was just kind of nice to just see, like, oh, we're just gonna we're gonna do a movie real quick. Like it's gonna be a beginning, middle, and end, and then we're gonna move on. <laughs> uh, but as far as the ranking goes, I think this is probably probably second to number two out of this trilogy. Yeah, I I think it's almost universally agreed yeah. that if you j- just look at the trilogy, yeah, it's two, one, three. Like, like three is easily the worst of them. Um, but yeah, this movie, I agree with everything Kyle just said. It's a it's a very solid foundation for things to come. Like it's uh, again, I watched this with somebody who everything told to them v- through this singular viewing experience is everything that they know. Um, and they were only lost in like plot details, not character details or like world details and whatnot. Um, and it's funny, uh, in retrospect, how much it feels like a prologue to the second film in so many ways where it's like, there's no way, there's no way you could just skip to the second film. This film has to exist. And as it is, I, th- I think it serves the role pretty well. Like it, it's it's not the best superhero movie by any means, but it's as far as like starting a brand new franchise, it's very approachable and it moves. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's all you need to have a satisfying experience. Yeah, that's all. And I have you know, to say. a lot a lot of these people, a lot of these actors, really did kind of find the like find exactly the right role to like propel them to bigger and better things in their career. Like Hugh Jackman, hell of an introduction. I know he stood out to a lot of people just in this first film, but he would come to embody the the role like much more strongly in years to come. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen, they both just like seamlessly slip into their roles uh, amid their very busy schedules in the case of Ian McKellen. But 
Um, anyway, I guess that's uh, the first X-Men film. Uh, tune in next week for X2 X-Men United. I will check in with Nick, see if he wants to be part of that one, because that is like the big one mm-hmm. that I, I would assume is probably his favorite of at least the first chunk of these movies. Um, but in the meantime, folks at home, if you'd like to catch up on any of our Catching Up on Cinema content, you can find all of that collected on our website at catchinguponcinema.com. Uh, you can also find us on the social medias in the form of the Twitter, at Catching Cinema, as well as the Instagram, at Catching Up on Cinema. So feel free to hit me up at either of those. And the podcast is available on pretty much every platform you can imagine, including Bitcade. So fucking Google it. Google it. And that being said, thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you next time. Scott! Oh.